Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. And uh, we got a very busy show today. Lots to get to. I and mean, we'll still continue to break down the uh, aftermath of the Winnipeg Jets season. Looking forward to having Murata Tesh of The Athletic, who was there for it all this weekend. And uh, Ted Wyman as well. Now, uh, we'll get Ted's thoughts on the Jets offseason. But the reason why we wanted to have Ted on today is that we finally got some bombers to talk about. Of course, rookies are going to be, what do we see, uh, in about, what, 11 days getting to work here? Um, Or actually, even less, uh, about a week, and then uh, the main camp starting in about 11 days. But it was the CFL draft last night, and, um, you know, the the, uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers made some selections. We'll talk about those with Ted, and um, maybe a little bit of a look ahead to the upcoming training camp and season for the Blue and Gold. Um, so Teddy Drip coming up first, and then Murata Tesh. Uh, big one tonight for the Winnipeg Ice and the Manitoba Moose, for that matter. Uh, both teams on the road in playoff action. Moose in Milwaukee. Dan Fink's going to join us tomorrow in between games three and four in Milwaukee. And a little later on today, we'll set up a potential clinching game for the Ice looking for the sweep over the Saskatoon Blades when Munzee joins us from Saskatoon a little bit later on. Uh, But before you get too excited about that sweep, let's not forget that Saskatoon was down 3-0 in their last series and came back to win in seven, was down 2-0 to Connor Bedard and the Regina Pats. So they have been a very tough team to kill, but this is the opportunity for the ice to do that. So we'll get to some playoff talk of a Western Hockey League variety for our local squad a little bit later on from Munzee as well. Um, Just before we bring Michael Remus in, get to last night's action in the Stanley Cup playoffs, a big shout-out to all of our great sponsors that make it happen every day with us. Winnipeg Gold Eyes, Assiniboia Downs, both starting off their live seasons a little later on this month. Modern Man Barbershop, Aquatech, Manitoba Battery, Canadian Club, Vita Health, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Princess Auto Consolidated Supply, Royal Sports, BP, Little Brown Jug, Aikens Lake, Breezy Bend, Golf Course, and our great partners over at Cool Bet. Big edition of the Lock Shop today. Check it out and subscribe. Lock Shop Bets on YouTube and uh, at Lock Shop Bets on Twitter as well. Let's get Remus in here. Remo, what's going on? How are you? Feeling good. Counting down here to uh, night two of round two, Stanley Cup playoffs. We start off night one. Also, uh, I don't know. It's like nice outside. I can drive around. It's gorgeous outside right now. I'm wearing sandals like outside. It's fantastic. So, um, yeah, feeling good. And we're heading here into what? It's the Jets offseason, but no shortage of topics uh, here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. No, but you know what? Winnipeggers always like to talk about the weather, and considering how much we've bitched about it for a long time, especially through March and April, waiting for spring to come, it's here, folks. 20 degrees right now in the city as we go live just after 1 p.m., a high today of 23, and beautiful temperatures throughout the rest of the week, uh, 19, 18, 20, 21. So uh, things are going to get greening up a little uh, little bit, uh, well, very quickly uh, the golf courses are opening. Breezy Bend open on the weekend. The boys of summer are back as the Gold Eyes get going today with training camp and uh, lots of good things 
as long as Mother Nature cooperates. And it is supposed to be a hot summer, so it took a little while for spring to get here, but it is here, and uh, we are very thankful for it. And, of course, with spring comes playoff hockey. We mentioned that both the ice and the moose are in action tonight. We will get to that. But, man, Reem, what a night last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it really did seem like the teams that won Game 7s on the road just continued right on where they left off in their Round 1 series. The Florida Panthers stunning the Maple Leafs at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. And then the Seattle Kraken spoiling what was and still should be remembered as an absolutely legendary comeback story of Joe Pavelski, who left Round 1 in really bad shape after that devastating hit from Matt Dumpa knocked him out of the series. Pavelski comes back, puts a team on his back, scores four goals last night, but it wasn't enough as Yanni Gord, the former Lightning player, was the uh, overtime hero beating Jake Ottinger on a perfect shot on a rebound. I mean, a typical NHL playoff overtime goal. And the Kraken strike first. Both road teams getting the win last night. Yeah, when uh, Yanni Gord scored for the Kraken yesterday in overtime, I couldn't help but remember your conversation with Dave Poulin yesterday where you talked about Andre Palat, his impact with the Devils. Now another former Lightning uh, still in the Stanley Cup playoffs while the Lightning are eliminated. And yeah, absolutely legendary game by Joe Pavelski. But I do wonder if it's that comeback by Dallas is now like in the same era, you know, same range of Adam Lowry's game three tying goal. Sorry, I don't know if it's too soon. To bring that up where you have this like awesome comeback but ultimately if you don't lose in overtime like who who's going to remember joe pavelski coming back but incredible great to see him uh in the lineup you know we weren't sure how long he would be out but i'm very surprised i the kraken keep proving me wrong every single game you think oh you know short rest here for the kraken dallas has been waiting around dallas is at home kraken got to travel from uh colorado to Dallas, but it's the road teams that, as you said, keep getting it done here. And the both teams that won the game sevens carry the momentum in. And I don't know. I think everyone in our chat wants to see Toronto lose, but I don't know. I find myself hoping for the Canadian teams. Maybe because I took them in my bracket. I think that's exclusively why. For it's a selfish Leafs, reasons. A, a Leafs Edmonton Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I want it. Would drive a lot of people crazy. But I'll be honest, it would be unbelievable. Yes. I mean, there is, I listen, you know, at this point of the year, if your team is out, which for most of us, that is the case, um, you want to see the stars in the National Hockey League. You want to see great matchups. And I can't imagine one, at least on paper, that looks juicier than McDavid and Dreisaitl going up against Matthews and Marner. And certainly the folks at the... Uh, TSN and Sportsnet executives' offices are uh, getting pretty excited about the possibilities of that. But the Leafs can't worry about a potential series against the Oilers. They got to worry about the Florida Panthers. And like I said yesterday on the program, this Panthers team, the way they were able to survive against the Boston Bruins and knock off that top team in the National Hockey League seems to have... Um, Something special going on right now. And none of it happens without Bobrovsky making that save in game number five in the waning seconds on that breakaway from Brad Marchand that literally saved their season. And I'll tell you what, Remus, since then, Bob has just got better. He looked like prime Andre Vasilevsky last night, 
making some huge saves. And once again, Matthew Kachuk, the most impactful player on the ice, maybe in the entire playoffs so far, with all due respect to McDavid and Dreisaitl, making the difference last night. What a win for Florida, drawing first blood in their series. Hey, is Bob good again? Because He's back. Bob is, is back. Because, Bo- you know, when you are talking yesterday, I forgot they had won, sorry, two Vesna trophies, Bob? Like he's kind of known now. That's how he got 10 mil. Yeah, he's kind of known now as being the most overpaid goalie in the league, but he had to get 10 mil or like earn that somehow. And I mean, he had what? He had 901 save percentage this year, 358 goals against. So he mean, lost his job. Paul Maurice rode Alex Lyon, th- much like the Jets rode Connor Hellebuck at the end of the season into the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Nine. Oh, yeah. Nine. Oh, one. And even in the overall in the playoffs, sorry, his numbers have been nine. Oh, one. That's kind of kind of crazy. But uh, the last couple of games, he's been he's been very good. So is Bob's back, I think. Huss. And, you know, you heard from Leafs fans. Oh, we got the chances. We were the better team. We just couldn't finish. And like I know we had said Jake Ottinger was maybe the best goalie left. But is Bob now the best goalie left in the playoffs? We'll have to see how this series goes, but I mean, you've got the best goalie, the best skater, Matthew Kachuk. Man, it could be upset season for for Florida here. Um, and it was only one game, and you can't get too high or too low. But Bob, Bob, that's all I got. Bob, that's it. Bob is back. I think he's back. <laughs> well, I was doing the lock shop with Dusty, of course, in Edmonton, but uh, JBM from Coolbet joined us from Toronto, and uh, you know he's a big, big Leaf fan, and you know there. I think a little rattled at how Bobrovsky looked last night uh, and the fact that, you know, the Panthers came in and took care of business in Toronto in game number one. That being said, I mean, from a Leafs perspective, they've got to be feeling still confident from the way that they came back against Tampa. But I really did think there might be a bit of a letdown. It wasn't like they didn't play well last night. I thought they did. Their power play looked good. But you got to score. And um, the one thing that Florida has been doing consistently is putting a ton of pucks on net and that really helps out at this point of the year considering the weird way some of those pucks go in so uh first blood for florida first blood for the seattle kraken in overtime last night and tonight we get game one between the oilers and the vegas golden knights in jersey and carolina and a quick note um, certainly even more so for, as I know, Mark Stone, <clears throat> despite playing for the Vegas Golden Knights and not getting the warmest welcome at Canada Life Centre during the playoffs, has a lot of fans around here. Very concerning look from Vegas practice yesterday, Remo, as Mark Stone was obviously in discomfort, left early, did not return. This is a guy that is returning from back surgery. Um, he's had a number of back problems over the last couple of years. I'll tell you what, if Mark Stone is not able to play at the level that he really did from about the second half of game two through the rest of the series against Winnipeg, that is going to compound the already huge challenge awaiting Vegas in terms of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, do we know if uh, Mark Stone's parents are going to be at the game uh, tonight? We're going to check on, check in on what they're, how they're feeling, but I did see the video of him walking off and doesn't look great, but I don't know. Like remember game one where they're like, oh, Mark Stone's huffing and puffing here on the on well, the no bench. No kidding, he was huffing and puffing. He hadn't played in three months. Yeah, and then 
And then he came back and dominated the rest of the series. So, I mean, didn't look great. There's also a video of Connor McDavid, like, shaking out his knee in practice. I mean, we'll have to see. They have really good, you know, really good medication they give these guys so they don't feel pain. And I don't know. Well, we'll have to see what the, what the back, lineup is. The back is something that's so different than anything else. And, um, you know, anyone that's had, you know, major back issues or mm-hmm. back surgery or anything will tell you that, um, you know, those sort of those muscles and the pain that comes along with having issues around there can be absolutely debilitating. And I, I had a bit of a chill looking at looking at Stone walking off that way, just knowing that. You know, this is not a strained muscle. This is not uh, him feeling sick. This is something that, you know, has really impacted him in the last couple of years. And as good as he looked at times in that series, um, the bottom line for Vegas is that they're going to need a really effective Mark Stone to counter what Edmonton is bringing to them uh, tonight. And uh, uh, I think for everyone involved, we hope that Mark Stone will be okay, and we hope he'll be able to play because um, this series won't be the series that I think everyone hopes it'll be without Mark Stone. Um, so that one goes tonight, and then, of course, we've also got that other series that in some ways I think is sort of forgotten. Um, Carolina home to Jersey, Reem, and I think I'm going to ride with the Devils tonight. You know, when you look at what teams that won Game 7, that went to Game 7, have done so far on the road in game number one of the series. This is a little different, though, in the fact that both Florida and the Kraken were significant underdogs last night. The Devils aren't. And when you look at Carolina's uh, you know, injuries with Pacioretty out, with Svechnikov out, now with Tua Teravainen out, uh, the big question is who is going to step up along with Sebastian Ajo to get the offense that they're going to need because that Jersey team is so fast, so skilled, so talented they are going to um, they're going to get their chances on whether it's Freddie Anderson or Antti Ranta in the net. And I think the other great thing for Jersey is that they don't have a long wait because this Kira Schmid, who um, came in after game two, has been absolutely lights out in net, outdueling Grisha Sturkin. Um, and I think when you have a player like that, you just want to get him right back into the net, and that's what Lindy Ruff's going to do tonight. Yeah, we have seen a trend of these game seven teams winning, so I don't mind. I don't mind you taking uh, the Devils. I think if the Hurricanes are an underdog, I would take the Hurricanes. You know, uh, Dom from the Athletic, I trust his projections uh, a lot. He has this pretty much coin flip fifty two percent for the Hurricanes, um, so I would take them as an underdog. I know they're missing some guys, but you like their team game, uh, you, their defense very strong. You know, wherever their goalie has been, and started with Ranta. Um, you know, it's been solid. So I'm I'm leaning Hurricanes. Very good, you know, co- very well-coached team. You know, they're too good to get coach of the year, Rod Brandemora has. They're too good. You have to be, if you want to be coach of the year, you have to be a bad team, you know, the year before, and then improve. His window for coach of the year expired. So I I like Carolina here. Um, you know, they have had guys step up, you know, Marty Natchez and, Stefan Nosen, who's getting playing power play one. You know, these aren't really household names, although Natchez has had a really good good season. Well, but they Seth do have Jarvis. some guys. Jarvis is going to have yeah. to be a massive player in this series if they're going to win. Yeah, and also um, for New Jersey, a lot of talk about Timo Meyer after that hit for from Jacob Truba. He's a game-time decision. He did wear the bubble, you know, the bubble in practice. So we'll see what happens to them. It's interesting. You know, Morgan Barron goes with the cage. 
Timo Meyer going with the bubble, all personal preference. We'll have to see if he's in. I'm going to, you know, assume that he's not going to play after that. We all saw what happened there. So, I mean, maybe he'll take an extra day. Well, I have no idea how he's feeling, but we'll see. Yeah. And again, they're not going to tell us, uh, you know, check in they, at the start they said of the upper game. Body. They, yeah, yeah, oh, they told, was it upper body? That they told was, everyone yeah. upper body. Mm, okay. Yeah, sure. Well. I, I I would agree. That certainly was an upper body injury with what Jacob Truba did to him uh, during game seven uh, earlier this week. Um, just before we move on from the NHL, we will focus in on the Jets, of course. Um, NHL trophy nominees, Lady Bing out point Kopitar and Hughes and the Selkie Bergeron, Nico Heischer, who will play tonight. And that's a great honor for Nico Heischer and Mitch Marner Reem. Yeah, well, it's all those Toronto voters, of course. Um, a winger getting nominated. I, I don't know if you see that too often. And this is why, like, I don't understand all the talk about Bergeron retiring. He's still at the top of his game. He's probably going to, you know, win the Selkie again. So I don't know why Lifetime he's... Achievement Award. You think, no, no, no. I you think the numbers show that he's still elite. Oh, I, I'm joking. He's, oh, okay. like, it should be basically renamed the Patrice Bergeron yeah. Award. I mean, for... How great that he's been. Listen, the reason why everyone was talking about Bergeron retiring is that it sure as hell looked like it after they lost to the Florida Panthers with him kind of doing a special, you know, hug or you know, moment with all of his teammates and the look on his face. Hey, the NHL, he's going straight to the Hall of Fame whenever he's done. <laughs> For the Boston Bruins, it will be a massive, massive loss. And the potential of losing Bergeron and Krejci, your top two centers, in one off season, sound familiar? Well, it's it's funny, you know. We talk about everyone talks about like Vegas circumventing the cap and stuff. I forgot that those two guys signed like two million dollar contracts um, with you know these bonuses where they're actually going to uh, take up cap space next year because they went over the cap. But I still don't don't know why those guys like helped out the Bruins, took such value contracts. I think they were both two. Were they two million? Yeah, Krejci took one million dollar base salary, and Bergeron was two and a half million. Nice, really nice guys. Uh, those two are, and I don't know—is he going to retire, or is this like every year? It's like, is Bergeron going to retire, and we do this every year? But I mean, what a great well, career! They're going to beg him to try to stay, but uh, and I mean, as far as asking why they did it, I mean, I think it's pretty simple. They wanted to win a championship. Yeah, I mean. Listen, I think you can make the argument that Patrice Bergeron has been criminally underpaid for most of his career. However, credit to him, uh, he didn't sulk about it. He didn't make a big deal about it. All he did was go out night after night and be one of the best players in the National Hockey League. And then when given the opportunity to max out money or play with the team that he loves, he's been with his entire career and work within the framework of the salary cap to play for a team that was historically good through the regular season before a real disappointing playoff spot. He did it. So I give him a I, listen. It, it's lucky. It's fortunate to be a team like Boston. Um, if the team sucked, he wouldn't have done that. I can guarantee you that, but that's part of what it is. When you are a legit Stanley cup contender, you have guys that, you know, that the, the lure of potentially winning is worth more than an extra million dollars on your checks. Um, and most of these guys at the time, if they're able to make those decisions, have made their money. They're set for life. If they're coming back, it's about that competitive fire and the competitive spirit. And that's certainly 
what uh, what he had. Um, all right, as I said, Ted Wyman's going to join us in a couple minutes. I did see a question in chat. There's been a lot of talk online about the Jets not playing Axel Janssen Fialbi an extra game um, to retain RFA rights on Axel. Listen, I understand there's a lot of people that want to take shots at Jets management, and there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, are, are there. This ain't it, if you ask me. Um, pe people are acting as if they didn't know this or they weren't aware of this, whatnot. Um, listen, the bottom line is Axel was sent down to the moose. Now, I'm actually a fan of Axel. I would have preferred that he actually got into a few more games. But when coaching and management decide that they're playing other players, they're doing that for a reason. And the reason was trying to get this team into the playoffs. Um, Axel was a waiver pickup. I mean, this is not a guy they've invested a ton in or anything like that. And what the danger is, is that if you do get him those and you qualify him, you know what might happen? They might accept a qualifying offer, and then they're on the books with a contract for the upcoming season. I think it's quite clear that the Winnipeg Jets have a very wide-open view on their roster. The big questions are about the guys at the top, and you can say, well, at least it would have given them that opportunity or that right. Guys, he was there the entire season. I'm pretty sure they'd made their decision and would have understood whether that was an important thing for them to do or not much like Eric Comrie last year, and a lot of people made a big deal about it. People, RFAs get unsigned or are not qualified or left out all the time. I think there was 85 or so last year in the NHL. So, I mean, when we're picking the things to get bent about, uh, a waiver pickup and their contractual status for next year, I would argue, way, way, way down at the bottom of the list. And... I think we saw when he was sent to the Moose that they'd made their decision on whether he was a big part of this team in the present and going forward. Some of you might be big fans of Axel. As I said, I liked him. Um, but I'm not sure that this is the uh, this is the reason to go get the pitchfork. So, All right, we're going to talk to uh, our guy Ted Wyman. Uh, I can't wait to talk to Ted about what he thought about what we heard on the weekend with the Jets. And, of course, Winnipeg Blue Bomber training camp. Um, but just before we do that, got to thank a few of our sponsors right out of the gate. And of course, as I mentioned right off the bat, it's May 3rd. The boys of summer are back and training camp has started for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes today. Teams working out at Shaw Park today and tomorrow and then heading out to Fargo for preseason games in Milwaukee, Fargo and Milwaukee over the course of the uh, you know the next week. Season opens on May 11th, and the home opener is May 19th against Lake Country here as the Gold Eyes open up their 30th season. The countdown is on to Craft Beer Corner, to Goldie Dogs, to everything that comes with summer and the Gold Eyes. If you haven't already, you do are considering maybe a group outing, season tickets, group mini packs, get on over to goldeyes.com today and uh, count yourself in for the upcoming season. And we'll see you at the ballpark and stay tuned for a couple WST nights we're going to put together or hopefully we can all get together at the barbershop. Hey, our friends at Modern Man Barbershops are one of our newest sponsors have now had eight locations in Winnipeg, including the newest locations on Plessy Road and on Pembina Highway. And Modern Man Pembina is hosting a grand opening event on Sunday, May 7th. From noon to five, receive a haircut for nine bucks with proceeds to Cancer Care Manitoba Foundation. 
and the first 100 people get a free lunch from the Jeepney food truck. This is going to be awesome. As you can see, I need a cut. I'll be heading down there on Sunday. Maybe we'll see you there. You can visit their Instagram at Modern Man Barbershops for more info. And if you do need a cut, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more, Modern Man's there for you with eight locations. You can book your look and make an appointment at modernmanbarber.com. Um, we're starting to feel spring. Summer's right around the corner. Make 2023 the year you take the plunge with Aquatech. Visit aqua-tech.ca to design your own custom pool. Their team can provide on-the-spot finance or pricing from designers as well as financing options that suit you. While you're thinking of the backyard, what about the home? Whole home renovations start with Aquatech as well. With thousands of renos as their foundation, let Aquatech upgrade any space in your home. Aquatech's ready to make your reno dreams a reality. Learn more about design, pricing, and financing options at aqua-tech.ca. Uh, we're talking golfing. Breezy's open right now. You're thinking about getting out to the cottage. Well, Manitoba Battery continues to celebrate their 10th birthday and are blowing out golf cart batteries at incredible prices. Here you go, folks. Right now until May 6th, six-volt golf cart batteries are what? 167 bucks. Eight-volt golf cart batteries are $177. And when you return your cores to Manitoba Battery, you'll receive another $17.50 off what's already the lowest price in Manitoba for golf cart batteries. Get them now so you can be ready for May long weekend and summer fun. The sale is on now up until May 6th. Pop by and see him at 1026 Logan Avenue. Or for more information, go to manitobabattery.com. And just before we bring Ted in, Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, Canadian Club. Speaking of the Bombers, official spirit of the blue and gold and WST. And will be ready for us at the Rum Hut when uh, we get back to IG Field. But in the meantime, you can pick up Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And don't forget to keep your eyes out for Canadian Club and Ginger Ale premixed cocktails in 473 milliliter cans at Liquor Marts and beer vendors wherever. If you can't find it, ask for it. They'll have it as well. All right, let's get Ted Wyman here in from the Winnipeg Sun Lots to talk about on the local scene. Ted, what's up, man? Good to see you on the weekend. How are you? Well, I'm doing just fantastic, Huss. Uh, you know, it was a pretty eventful weekend for Winnipeg sports, I got to tell you. And I mean, with it just sort of bleeding into Blue Bombers training camp starting, it's really no rest for the sports wicked, is there? No, definitely not. And listen, we've spent a lot of time on this and we'll be kicking it around with Murad as well. But I mean, you've covered this team for a long time, sports in Winnipeg. Um I guess I'll ask you, what were your expectations going into the weekend, considering what we heard from Rick Bonus after game five? And how did that jive from what you actually got from the players, the coach in round two, and then the general manager on Sunday? Well, wow, that's a good question. I, I'd have to say my expectation after hearing what Rick Bonus said uh, after the game um, on Thursday was that it would be pretty explosive. I, I just thought that, you know, people aren't going to take that very well, but I'm not sure I expected the reaction that we got from them. I, you know, really everyone, I, not really any player came out and said, yeah, Rick was right. We didn't play well. We didn't do the job. They mostly came out and said, we didn't like what Rick had to say. So I was definitely surprised by that, you know, and, and I think if you contrast it, I did look around at what some of the other 
teams had to say after losing their last game. And, you know, I, I pinpoint the New York Rangers. They lost 4 nothing in Game 7. They had made it to Game 7 against the Devils. Thought they should have done better, but they didn't really show up in Game 7. And, and a couple of guys said we were pitiful. And I, and I expected more of that kind of reaction from the Jets. I think people tried to give some players opportunities to say it, and they didn't say it. And I think that's what surprised me the most. It, it was really just, we didn't like how Rick said it. And not, we really felt like we didn't do a good job. And it's, and it's kind of unfortunate. Like it, we feel bad that our coach feels that way. So that definitely surprised me. Um, I, I wondered how that would uh, impact Rick Bonus's future with the team, to be honest, because why, you know, if you've got this situation where co- players feel like they've been thrown under the bus by their coach, are they going to want to come back and play for that coach next year? We know there's a lot of question marks, but some guys are guaranteed to be coming back. And how are they going to feel about it? So, again, after that, all that happening, the next thing you know is Kevin Cheveldayoff is reported to be staying. And Rick Bonus is reported to be staying. And we're all just carrying on from there. So I, I thought there'd be a lot more reaction to it. Uh, I thought maybe the organization would take more steps and really we've seen nothing so i guess you i'm know surprised what, by Ted, that. is it, it's funny in, in a way that i mean i think bones with what he had to say after game five almost uh, we've been talking all season long the change is inevitable this year i mean based on the contract situations of shifley and hellebuck and dubois and when you're left on blake wheeler uh I would suggest that in addition to that, everything that we heard Thursday night and Saturday from the players, I think would create even a larger need for significant change than was there beforehand. Um, Chevy certainly was not letting on that that was the case at all, but he didn't really tell us much, if anything, other than just trying to get through the 42 minutes that he spoke there in that sweat box that was the... uh, downstairs Matt Frost Media Center. Um, But it doesn't change the fact that this team, it will be pushed towards making change, even if management doesn't particularly want it. But I think the need for that was even more glaringly in front of all all of our faces when we heard what the majority of the team that did speak had to say. Well, you can't make the changes that the Jets need to make on the Sunday, three days after the season that's just the truth we know those are further off in the future i think what a lot of reporters would like i i was not in the room for chevy i was there for the players i did listen to what he had to say and i think a lot of the reporters were trying to rephrase their questions and rephrase their questions to get him to give an answer that suggested a vision a plan for what is going to happen with the with this team how it's going to be Uh, able to move forward considering the situation that it's in. And, I mean, if you just looked at it as is with all those four players that you talked about coming back next season, let's just assume they're going to still have Connor Hellebuck and Dubois and Wheeler and Shifley. Even in that case, what would the GM's vision be for going forward? Because it wasn't good enough as it is. And there's nothing that you can point to to blame yeah, Ehlers didn't play that much in the playoffs. Morrissey got hurt. Shifley, yes. Those things hurt. It, it was not easy to play against a team like Vegas without those guys. But we saw that team. They they were who we thought they were, to quote 
a famous line I'm sure you're familiar with, Hus. They, they absolutely were the team that, that was good at times, but simply went into lulls. And they had a very long lull that cost them seven spots in the standings. And then they had a lull at the end of that series against Vegas. They know they didn't play their best, even close to it. And they didn't have a chance. So you want to hear more about what's going to happen, especially when you know that so many things are going to have to change. And right now, I think I think probably if you're a season ticket holder or just a fan of the Jets, you're probably kind of left in limbo, uh, wondering what the heck this is going to look like in the future and what you're supposed to be spending your money on when you sign up for more season tickets. No, it's a good point. And I think the reality of professional sports is the fans are always on a need-to-know basis via the media. And that's the way that this organization has always operated. But here's the thing, Ted. Right now, this fan base sort of does need to know something. If anything, they just need to get a bit of a bone. I think it's incumbent. And this is why I said... That is, you know, whatever. We've we've had pressers like this from Chevy before. But I just thought that in the current state of the Winnipeg Jets with what they need to do this summer off the ice personnel-wise as well as business-wise, it was a real missed opportunity to, you know, just give a couple nuggets that, you know, the, the impending change that I think everyone agrees is and has to happen in some way, shape, or form is going to come, that they are on it, and to sort of stay tuned. And in some ways, I think that would excite people or at least bring some people back and be people dialed in. That just didn't happen. And, you know, I said yesterday, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, maybe they almost do a, a, a redo. I was talking with Mike McIntyre and he said, well, Chevy spoke four times this year. I'm not sure it might be wise. And maybe it's after the first move that happens to talk about, you know, more things that are coming. Because let's face it, this next two months are going to be crucial and, frankly, critical to shaping the future of this team going forward because I think everyone will agree, especially after what we heard on Saturday, the future of this team, at least beyond this season, probably looks very different at a couple of key, key positions of guys that have been stars and important cogs in this team for a long time. It's massively important, and that's the thing. And, I mean, I think... My colleague Scott Billick often has said this, he probably said it on your show, that that's where it really becomes a gray area because how is it that Kevin Shevelyoff has really earned the trust to go and do this massive situation in the offseason, you know, like to deal with it when he's brought them to this point and this is the team that you've got. This is what happens. This is the team that didn't really have the intestinal fortitude it needed when it came up against adversity during the regular season and during the playoffs. That's what's been built here, and it's had a chance. And it was up to, you know, close to a Stanley Cup in 2018, but it hasn't been remotely close since. So how do you know that, well, like, what makes you have the faith that he's going to be able to do what is so important in this offseason and make this team, what, as good, different, competitive, rebuild, I mean, there's so many possibilities that could come out of this and the the lack of, you know, with no idea what's going to be happening in the future. I think it's very difficult for the fans. And I did want to point out, I think Kelly McCrimmon probably talked more than four times in the series with Winnipeg. 
<laughs> which is an interesting comparison to Kevin Cheveldayoff, who's so reclusive when it comes to these things. You just don't hear from him very often. And when you do, he really doesn't say anything. So then, again, it's a lot harder for people to get an idea of what the vision might be. Yeah, no, it is a great point, and I don't think it does them any favors, especially at a crucial point like this for the organization. Ted Wyman's with us from the Winnipeg Sun. But, Ted, as much as we'll have plenty of Jet stories to talk about on a daily basis on this program and in the Winnipeg Sun, bomber training camp just around the corner, and uh, last night was the CFL draft. And I will admit, I've been far more dialed in in recent years to the CFL draft, maybe leading into sort of 2019, because of how much work the Bombers and Kyle Walters had to do. It's kind of different right now. I mean, this team is so well run. This team is so stacked uh, roster-wise. You know, there's no glaring needs. We didn't go into last night thinking, oh, my God, they really need someone for this particular position. Um, So it allows you to sort of sit back, see what happens, and talk about it afterwards. But really, I mean, do you agree, like, the – the Bombers have been able to go into these last few CFL drafts looking for great athletes, guys they think have a future, not looking at any pressing needs, and consistently draft well in the past. Obviously, the jury's still out on uh, the class of 2023. It's so funny, Husk, because uh, I, I, you know, what you were saying just brought back the memory of how it went with Kyle Walters today. In the interviews before the draft, He said exactly that. We're not looking for any specific position. We're looking for the best talent available. This is the way we operate, and we're in a luxury position, like you said. And then this morning he came out and he said, well, we needed defensive line receivers and defensive back. So that's what we went for. It's like, well, that doesn't really jive with what you were saying. But anyways, uh, regardless, that's what they went for, and that's what they got. They got a lot stronger on the defensive line. There's no doubt about that. Um, And then they, they, they did what they always do. They go and get guys that can be good at special teams. They go and get guys that can fill in at positions where they like to have Canadians. Receiver, they got a pretty decent one there in Jeremy Murphy. They got, uh, they got uh, you know, a running back. They got three defensive linemen. They got defensive backs. Those are exactly what they like to have. Those are the positions where they have these guys. And, you know, they, they need to look at filling holes down the road. So... Knowing that Jake Thomas is in his 12th season on the defensive line, well, you want to make sure that you've got somebody that can play that role there. So they've picked up some interior defensive linemen. And then that first overall, the first pick, not first overall, eighth pick, is really intriguing. That Anthony Bennett, uh, you know, I mean, that guy is going to be... Uh, yeah, give people the background on this because it's a very interesting background. I mean, he was drafted really out of Regina... But this is a guy that spent a lot of time in the South, has played NCAA football. I mean, uh, give us the CV on uh, the guy the Bombers called out at eighth overall. Well, I've just been looking it up myself. But he, uh, so he was born in Florida. His father played one game for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, met his mother in Regina. His mother is from Regina. They ended up moving to Florida. He was born down there. He uh, went to Florida's. Uh, Florida Atlantic University, I believe yep. it was, played three seasons there. And then in, in whatever, for whatever reason, there was a coaching change and he wasn't, felt he wasn't wanted there, there anymore. He was uh, not part of the program and he decided he wanted to go to Regina and, and, you know, go home to his roots. And so he played his last couple of years at Regina. He's 26 years old now. 
he's had a se- single season Rams record for sacks. He was a all Canadian player. You know, from what it sounds like, he's a really, really intriguing defensive end. Not a big guy, six foot three, two thirty, but really agile. And hey, Kyle Walters compared him today to Willie Jefferson. Now he wasn't t- necessarily saying he could play like Willie Jefferson. But he said his positivity and his, uh, sorry, not his positivity, his personality and his energy are Willie Jefferson-like. And and I asked him about that, and he said, that's 1,000% accurate. He said, that's the guy I want to be like. So if it could work out and they can get it, and he can play right away, he's 26. Like I said, he's got a chance to come in more likely to play right now than he would if it was a few years ago. And he's got that Canadian training, but that American, you know, he got, sorry, Canadian American background training, but Canadian uh, training as well, having played at the University of Virginia. He knows the Canadian game. He could come in quickly, and you get him in a rotation with Jackson Jeffcoat and, uh, and uh, Willie Jefferson, and that's a great spot to have a Canadian. And I think uh, that, you know, the, the hopes are pretty high for him. I, I've heard, I heard his name in some draft boards much higher, maybe even as high as third. Bombers got him eighth. That happens every year, but... Uh, this is a guy they really liked, and and I think we'll see him probably, you know, I think he's going to have a really good chance to make the roster this year. Yeah, he had a, a monster season last year and was the defensive player of the year. Uh, the Gators, Brian Morley, defensive player of the year last year. Um, and or I should say that that was a Jake Kelly, who I was just about to ask you for. Oh, yes. Um, but this uh, it, it's a real intriguing pick, and back to the fact that he's 26 years old, sometimes... You know, you make a pick of a guy that will be ready in a year or two. Now is the time for this Anthony Bennett. I mean, unlike a lot of the other picks, I mean, <clears throat> they expect him to come in, earn a spot at camp, and be a guy that we'll see on the field this year for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, definitely not a futures pick. Not, neither yeah. is Carl Schmitz, the punter they picked up in the global draft, who's 36. So, <laughs> That's got to be the oldest player ever drafted, right? <laughs> Well, the global draft's a bit of a different thing. If it were the regular draft, then yes. But I don't think he would have been eligible in the regular draft. But, you know, the global draft's interesting because, you know, I, I kind of asked Kyle about it today. Why, why don't you just sign a guy like that, you know, if you're interested in him? But apparently if they're not born in the United States or Canada, they have to go through the global draft. So because he was born in Bermuda... They had to use a pick on them. And, you know, they've got lots of globals, so I don't think they're too worried about that. Um, but when it comes to, uh, to to some of the, you know, I think Anthony Bennett especially is going to be the kind of guy that should be should come in pretty quickly. And he really seems confident. He seems like a guy that's going to fit in very well with the Blue Bombers. He's got that, that vivacious personality like Willie Jefferson does. Um, and he's... He's a really good athlete, and even if he can't get into a rotation on the defensive line, he was apparently one of the best special teams players at both Regina and at Florida, Florida Atlantic. And if he's a good special teamers, teamer, the Bombers will find a spot for him. That's how it works here. You know, and just uh, the second round, we don't go through all the picks, but Jake Kelly, who the Bombers took at 15th overall in the second round, uh, a DB, tested very well, was the third fastest guy at the Combine. Uh, I would imagine... Not only do they like the player, but the fact that Tyrell Ford signed that futures deal with the Green Bay Packers allows him to come in in a spot on the roster that there will be some opportunity for, uh, you know, for some depth. Oh, absolutely. And, and the Bombers, this is the second year in a row where they got a really good athletic player 
uh, Canadian that they kind of think they see a future for him playing. You know, you usually these DBs who get drafted, they're mostly special teams guys with some opportunity to maybe work their way into the safety conversation. But one thing I know Richie Hull doesn't mind is using Canadians at the dimeback position now. And you've also got, uh, you know, the safety in there. Right now, the Bombers have Brandon Alexander. I don't think he's going anywhere. He's the leader, big leader of the secondary back there at safety. But he's had some health problems too, so you never know for sure. Uh, they still have Nick Hallett, Noah Hallett. I think Noah Hallett's going to be injured most of the year. That doesn't look too great for him, but uh, he's on the mend. Retta Cramdy actually played some dime back one, started a game for them. So they're not terrible in that area. And Terrell Ford could be back. I mean, the fact is, he's a futures deal, and he's going to get a shot with the Green Bay Packers, but he may be back in Winnipeg, and he would have to come here if he returns because of the CFL-NFL window. So uh, probably another area where the Bombers in great shape. And the fact is, that's really what's made this so good for them over the years here, is that they've just established really strong foundations at each position and then they've built upon it through the draft. And I think it's a real, you know, if you want to just go back and look through the drafts over the years, that since Kyle Walters has been in charge of the Blue Bombers and Ted Gavea, those guys do an incredibly good job. They, the, the Bombers always have really good Canadians, and that's where these guys come from. So, uh, you know, I think you, know, you, you have to give kudos for them for that work that they've done because the Bombers really excel in that area. And, Ted, uh, one more. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the multiple... Um special teamers, kickers, punters that were selected in the global draft and the other signing today. Uh, I think if there's one thing we can take from Kyle Walter's uh, off-season moves so far, Mark Leggio is going to be challenged for that kicking position once we get to training camp. Uh, just thoughts on um, that, because if there's one thing that we've heard over and over in the chat from the Bombers, uh, from Bomber fans at Winnipeg Sports Talk, and I'm sure you and your conversations through uh, Sun Outlets, uh, the confidence level in Mark Leggio, despite the fact that he had a pretty good regular season, the way the Grey Cup ended, um, and maybe it's just that Justin Medlock set the bar so damn high, um, but I think it's pretty clear that the Bombers think that they wouldn't mind taking a look at some other guys and you know having some real legitimate competition for that job. Yeah, I don't think Mark Leggio is going to be challenged. I think Mark Leggio has the challenge. <laughs> Because right now, you know, he's the incumbent, but, uh, you know, they have to be taking a hard look elsewhere. And the problem for Mark Leggio is exactly what you said, that he did kick pretty well during the regular season. But the Bombers went 16-4 and four last season, including the playoffs. The two of the four losses were pretty much directly off the foot of Mark Leggio. He was unable to make the kick against Montreal that would have given them the win and he was unable to get to to get the ball i think i think he was unable to get the ball enough in the air to have an opportunity to kick the winning field goal against uh, toronto in the great cup but unfortunately for him he's had his chances in big moments and it's just it's not good enough and i and i'll tell you right now two years ago mike o'shea said we're not bringing any kickers to camp except for mark leggio and then at some point in the season he, he went they got tyler caprina and they brought in Ali Mortada because Legio just wasn't getting it done. Last year, they had a couple of... And then they traded kickers. for Sergio Castillo in the same season. And then they season. traded for <laughs> Sergio Castillo, exactly. So then last year, he got another chance at it. He didn't... There was a bit of competition, but it wasn't much. This year, they're bringing in three kickers, all are kicker punters, and I think four other punters. 
I mean, you, you're telling me that he has a – like he doesn't – I don't think he's the favorite to be the Bombers kicker at the end of this unless everybody's terrible. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's, it's going to be – because it, but he, he can be a really good kicker in training camp. But when it comes to those big moments, if you're not there, if you can't get it done, it's just not good enough. So, I mean, I, I like Mark Leggio. I think he's given a lot of uh, great effort for the Bombers. But he's going to be in tough to have a chance to make this team again. Yeah, the gauntlet is being thrown down. Um, uh, well, of course, we've got the uh, Fish starting their training camp today. Bomber rookies getting here next week. Just finishing up a very busy time for all the boys in the Sun Sports section. Uh, right back at it as well. Fill people in on what you in particular have coming up as we get ready for the uh, blue and gold to get back and start the unfinished business tour. Well, tomorrow we got a full feature on Anthony Bennett. I told you a fair bit of it already, but uh, go read it because there's a lot more detail in there. And I'll have, uh, you know, a rundown of all the Bombers players that they drafted and some of thoughts on that kicking uh, competition and a few other notes from there. And then, of course, next week, right into rookie camp on May 10th, we'll have our full coverage and um, really, uh, you know, trying to do some new things these these days with our online coverage. And I think you'll see some differences in our coverage of the Bombers this year, but I think it'll only be to the fans' benefit. Great stuff, Teddy. Thanks for doing this. As always, great to see you on the weekend and looking forward to catching up soon as uh, it gets nice outside and we get the football team and the baseball team back on the fields here in the peg. Time for burgers and beers tonight, I think, there, my friend. Have a good one. <laughs> Book it, Teddy. All right, there is Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun. Make sure to see uh, his work, Scott Billick, Paul Friesen, and the entire Sun team over at... Uh, the Winnipeg Sun. Um, all right, Murata Tesh is going to join us in just a minute. Um, I did want to quickly thank our friends at Wallace and Wallace and the Dream Factory, and of course Josh Morrissey for our Unsung Hero program through uh, throughout the winter, and uh, I believe we'll be doing it as well next year. Um, but we have our final winner for the Unsung Hero, and this is just a great one, and it speaks to. So many people that do so much in our community that, um, you know, super volunteers, if you will. And the nomination comes from Abby Bion, who's the GM over at the Corden Community Center. And the email said this, thanks so much for doing this program. There's so many people who do so many amazing things in our community without any recognition. It is wonderful to be able to celebrate them. Keep doing great things. I'd like to nominate Dana Ray as an unsung hero. She's the epitome of a volunteer, always willing to help out with anything anyone might need to get people involved. A mom of four kids, as well as a partner at a local accounting firm, which you can imagine keeps her very busy. However, it never stops Dana out from being able to help out. She's the community center treasurer, softball convener, coach, rally cap baseball convener, manager of her kids' hockey teams, and all-around volunteer. Her passion for the community is contagious, always getting people involved and looking to start new programs to help get people involved. She started the Corden Community Center softball program from nothing to now hosting four teams, passionate, reliable, patient, compassionate, creative, energetic, positive, organized, and always willing to help. Her commitment to the community is like no other. We're proud to have her as a member of the Corden community. Please accept this nomination for amazing volunteer Dana Ray and a great picture of her with one of the Comets teams. Dana, congratulations. Abby, thank you very much for the nomination. Dana's going to get the final Josh Morrissey autographed jersey from our program with Wallace & Wallace. And a little tease for you folks, 
Josh Morrissey is going to join us on Friday's Winnipeg Sports Talk. We'll also have a couple of the folks from the Dream Factory pop on a little later on in the interview to sort of wrap the program. But of course, Josh, the ambassador of the Dream Factory, and Josh and his wife, Margot, were matching the donations to the Dream Factory in the names of the nominees. So... Uh, great way to get into the off season and very much looking forward to having Josh on the show and a huge thanks again to Wallace and Wallace for making this entire program happen. Um, all right, before we get to Murat, I got to thank our friends at Vita Health. Hey, May is here folks. And if you're looking for great prices on natural organic supplements, beauty products, groceries, and the best selection of local products, you got to head down to Vita Health. And now with the warm weather here, it's barbecue season. Get down to Vita Health and pick up some delicious Vita Market grass-fed bison and beef steaks. And the perfect thing to help you digest that red meat, Help First Prime Zyme Digestive Enzymes. Symptoms like heartburn, gas, bloating, and abdominal pain after meals may be signs you're not digesting food well. Health First Prime Zyme can supplement enzyme levels to help break down proteins, carbohydrates, fats, lactose, and reduce digestive discomfort. That way you can enjoy the delicious food you're cooking. Remember, if you can't make it down to any of the Vita Health stores, you can visit their website to buy online with local delivery. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives, seven Winnipeg locations, and online at myvita.ca. How's the closet looking as we get into spring, fellas? If your uh, wardrobe and menswear needs an upgrade, head on down to F Apparel. Heading into spring and summer, custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. 15% discount for wedding parties if you are in a wedding party for the upcoming year. And they've also got a great offer for 2023 high school grads. Get a new suit and with a free custom shirt and tie valued at 150 bucks. Find out more at 190 Smith Street downtown or make an appointment or find out more at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. And just before we bring in Marat, we're cracking 20 degrees today. It's blizzard weather. The new summer blizzard flavors are here at your local Nick and Nicky DQ. Plan to take the fam down there and uh, put smiles on everyone's faces. Nick and Nikki DQ, supporters of ours since day one with four locations, DQ Northgate, DQ Polar Park, DQ St. Anne's, and the DQ out in Niverville. All right, um, we are headfirst into the Winnipeg Jets offseason. And what a, what a way it got going between the final buzzer of game five through the weekend. Murata Tesh was there for all of it and joins us now from The Athletic. Murat, what's going on? How are you? Hey, I'm enjoying the sunshine, the sunny, sandy beaches of Winnipeg out there today. It's good. Glad to see you. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I mean, I, like many people, would uh, prefer to be uh, focusing on uh, the Jets playing games right now. But for those of us that write or talk about the hockey club, no shortage of angles coming out of uh, <laughs> coming out of the last few days. I mean, let's take it back to Game 5. You were there in the room for the most explosive and most brief press conference from a head coach, I believe, in Jets history. Uh, take us back to the room, Murat. I'd love to get your perspective and reenactment of uh, what it was like <laughs> being in the room, what you heard from Rick Bonus, and what the reaction of those of you that were in the room had after he left. A reenactment would be something. You don't want my <laughs> acting chops up here. But, <laughs> um 
I, I think when when you know the stakes, right? Winnipeg has just been eliminated from the playoffs. You've just come from the room. You've talked to the players who are who are devastated. You know, Nick Ehlers is talking about how he feels like shit and all that stuff. You enter the room for that coach's availability, and you're at your probably the most heightened awareness or sensitivity or you know, you know that somebody's going to come in in the form of Rick Bonus, and his emotions are going to be strong. And you don't know if they're going to be sad. You don't know if they're going to be angry. You don't know if he's going to light a fire under uh, his team and say that it, sh- it goes back to January and February. So the moment that he walks in, there's a sense of like, you know, this hushed tension in the room to be sure you're watching him. You're looking for cues as to his emotional, you know, state. And he walks up onto that podium before anybody has a microphone. I'm gesturing for a microphone as well. He says, okay, this is going to be short and sweet. And you can just tell there's going to be something intense here. So, you know, Jeff Hamilton throws the, hey, what's your overall impressions? And he goes off. And I think, Huss, my impression of that was Bonus was angry. He was emotional. He wanted so much more for his team. He probably connected emotionally to the last time he felt so disappointed, which was probably that January, February, early March slide. Um, And if there's anything that I think I've come to learn about Rick Bonus over the last year, it's that emotions drive him. He's not, you know, about the analytics. He's not going to stress about X's and O's uh, more than he feels like he needs to. He cares about how much his players care. He cares so much. You can see his emphasis on the bench. And if somebody isn't going to live up to the emotional intensity that he brings himself, you know, in his suit, not in hockey gear behind the bench, I think that's going to really grind Rick Bonus's gears. And I think that he was, I, I don't want to say devastated. He said disgusted. Let's use that. I think he was disgusted by the fact that there were so many players who didn't appear to be matching that, that effort level. And if there's one thing that you're going to do that could possibly piss bonus off that much, it's look like you're not trying as much as he would be trying if he were in your shoes. You know, it, it is a, it is a great point. And um, if there's one thing and Rick talked about it, um, he has a, a ton of passion for the game. He loves it. He loves the competition and that is what drives him. And I couldn't help Murat, but think about, Man, this would be like game 11 or 12 of the season. I mean, after he had missed, I guess, nine of the first 10 um, out after uh, he unfortunately got COVID right off the hop. And uh, he made a comment one time, and I think this might have actually been after one of the Jets' wins, but just on how quiet the bench was. And he used that word, passion, um, about trying to get that, uh, get more out of that, or frankly, was a little surprised there wasn't more of that in his group. And... For me, that was my takeaway. I mean, it was an indictment of a team that didn't play with a lot of uh, many things in game number five when you would think that it would have been ramped up the most considering their season was over if they didn't win that hockey game. But the, uh, I mean, it really was questioning the, uh, the, the, the passion. We can call it engagement. I mean, there's a number of synonyms that are sort of different but kind of the same of what was missing at that point early on that sort of surprised him, that certainly wasn't there when they didn't have the pushback when the season was going in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, it was, uh, and I think this is what set him off the way that he did, uh, that game five lack of performance and lack of pushback was the almost the final nail in the coffin of something that had been smoldering 
um, especially during the second half of the season when he was looking for answers as to why this team wasn't stepping up considering what was happening to their spot in the standings and what's happened to their play. If in his heart of hearts, deep in his guts, he looked at game five and could honestly, truthfully feel this is the first time I've ever seen this lack of pushback, then you would understand confusion. He would have come out and say, said, I have no idea what happened. This is shocking to me. This is, you know, but I think like you say, Rick Bonus felt that way a few times over the course of the season. And you can point to various times, you know, if these guys think they're giving everything they have, they're dreaming, he said in San Jose towards the end of the season. There's what you just referenced. There's when they came back, they played a really good game against St. Louis, and they were still talking, um, this is after his return from COVID in the fall, about how they need to get to so much higher of a level. Um, and you can find it throughout the season where if there's something missing, and of course, if you're an emotional guy, you probably frame a lot of the problems in terms of emotions. But he was clearly, I don't know, surprised. He was clearly uh, put off to some degree by the fact that there was that seeming lack of pushback is a word we've heard so much of for so much of the season. And I wonder, you know, I'm a big believer in habits. I'm a big believer that when shit hits the fan and life is particularly tough and people are exhausted, they go back to habits as opposed to what, you know, new creative ideas, what they've been taught recently, um, open-minded approaches to problem solving. I think they just fall back on what they've come to do by default. And that's in all walks of life, including myself. I think when stuff got hard for the Winnipeg Jets this season, some of the some of the shell shock from previous years crept in. And if that was a, a lack of emotion at certain times or, OK, I've got to you know take this shift one on three at other times, the overpassing, the long shifts, the slow line changes, the oh, hey, the puck's going in the offensive zone. I'm going to extend the shift a little bit just in case um, there's a lot of those that I think take, you know, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts in a way where Winnipeg is a quality team that did improve this season, that did play better overall this season. But a lot of times when things got hard, you saw those little bad habits just erode, you know, you know, take a few cups of water into that canoe at a time until it was kind of overflowing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think bonus coming from outside the organization even knowing what he was getting into was surprised at times by how bad some of that was. Yeah. And, and, and you know what I mean? Adding fuel to the fire in game five and listen, bones wasn't around in 2019. I mean, I still go back to game six, which if you look back at the box score and the score doesn't look as bad as, um, you know, that, that series ended after game five. Uh, and maybe, I mean, the fourth game against Montreal I mean, I think the shots were 42-16 or something like that. They somehow scored two goals from Logan Stanley and got it to OT but didn't win. But, I mean, this was very similar to that. But I I guess what I'm saying is I I think that Rick Bonus has been around long enough that he can handle losing. Uh, He can understand things not going your way, and and, and especially considering, you know, the predicament the team was in with losing Josh Morrissey in Game 3 and losing Mark Shifley in Game 4. But it was the total lack of emotion pushback to use his term and real fight in the team that I think was 
was the thing that was most personally offensive to Rick. And, and that sort of set it off. And then, of course, we heard from the players. And, I mean, there was a hell of a lot more pushback on Saturday at Canada Life Centre than there was Thursday at T-Mobile Arena. Um, what do you think this does? I mean, listen, we, we don't need to get too much into Chevy because he didn't really tell us anything. But we all knew that there were crucial decisions that were going to be forced on this team because of the contractual situation. But regardless of the contracts, just the identity of the team, the culture of the team, what do you think the Bones explosion and then what we heard from the players, which was basically pushing back at the coach and not a lot of, well, I mean, as I said, it would have been so different if people said, listen, I didn't like what Rick had to say. That was a little bit over the top. But at the same time, I understand why he was so volcanic because, you know, we weren't there and we needed to be way better. And that just didn't really seem to happen. Um, I do wonder what the aftermath of this is with the coach who is apparently coming back and a lot of players who, even with changes, will still be Jets next season. You know what? what, One more on the coach from me on that regard. Like, one of the things that I think about when it comes to, to anyone, to you, to me, to media, to the coaches and players of the Winnipeg Jets, is I'm fascinated by their why. Why do you do the thing you do? Like, why do I write about hockey with such, you know, with the passion that I do? Or what role does, like, does this media person like being around the guys? Do we want to break news? Do, what, what is it, right, that keeps you going and connected and passionate about the thing that you do? And if you think about Rick Bonus, like 68 years old, I think it is, uh, 69 maybe he turned this season. I'm not sure. Everybody thought he was going to retire. Why could he possibly want to get behind a bench right now? It's love of the game. It's passion. It's probably hoping to win. He had a Stanley Cup at some point over the course of his career. And I know that a lot of people around the NHL are pulling for him. If you're going to put yourself through any of that, and your why is about passion and love of the game, and you don't see that passion, of course you're going to blow up about it. Of course that when you see an absence of that in other people, it's going to irk you. So, again, I think I have all kinds of empathy for that particular blow up. When it comes to the players, I also have empathy for the I, the message that they all seem to go back to. I wish that he would have told us directly. And I know that a lot of people's hot take response to that is, I mean, didn't he? We've seen it in the media. We know he's been hard and critical on his players throughout various courses of the year. Um, you know, they've even told us since then that in the second intermission, he went in there and he laid out quite an intense, uh, you know, uh, disappointment in the way that that game was going. So it's not it's not that it was should have been that much of a shock. But I think that the players, upon hearing his words, entering those exit media availabilities to a, to a man, they all know that they're going to be asked about it. So they have to prepare a thought, a line, a sentence. They have to say something about it. And the easiest thing for them to do is to say, well, I wish you would have kept it between us. Um, I think fans wanted them to say, hey, he was right. We should have been better. Um, But then you get into a little bit of pushback in terms of like war of the words. Plus, I saw a lot of takes after Bonus's words that were like, hey, how could he possibly come back? Are they going to fire him? Are they going to let him go? I mean, the amount of conflict here is untenable. I don't have even a little bit of time for that. Not even a little bit. I think think that these people are adults working in an industry whose very definition is a competition. 
There's going to be passion. There's going to be conflict. If there isn't, that's a problem, especially given the first round exit and recent history in Winnipeg. If they can't hear I'm disgusted and then privately behind closed doors have conversations about that. Why were you disgusted? Why didn't you tell us about that? Okay, here's what I did say about that. Here's what we were trying to work on. If you can't go through that kind of conflict as an adult human being in an industry devoted to competition, you might not be cut out for it. And I have faith in the adulthood of the Winnipeg Jets in a world that maybe shies away from conflict or a generation that is struggling with conflict in the ways because of how social and how things blow up all of the time. I think it's a natural, important, vital thing and an important way for teams and cultures and communities to get better. So I don't think that bonus going off on his players is a fireable offense. I don't think them kind of being hesitant to criticize themselves means that they were throwing him under the bus. I think this is a situation which is an honest reflection of the state of the Winnipeg Jets right now, and it's on them to deal with it like grownups. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think if anything, um, because let's face it, a lot of these guys are going to be back. I mean, we'll get into some big, big potential changes at key positional spots. And frankly, in the leadership group that's been here for a long time, whether they had letters on their jerseys this year or not, um, but with Bones being the head coach and these and this season ending the way that it did, if anything, that is going to be the ultimate reminder that there is a standard that Rick Bonus has tried to establish and maintain. And if you cannot get behind that, to use your quote, I mean, maybe you're not cut out for it or maybe this team isn't the right spot for you because that's what the teams that are still playing have. I mean, there's, listen, it, it, there will be guys, I'm sure, in the National Hockey League that are playing that are just sort of happy to be there. Um, this team has too much talent to just be happy to be there, to just be happy to make the playoffs. And I'm not suggesting that all the players are for a minute, but it did sort of come out like that from some players as they sort of celebrated what they were able to do and completely glossed over a no-show with their backs against the wall and their season on the line. Um, and... You know, regardless of what happens in the media going forward and what guys say going into training camp, I mean, that standard and that expectation um, without being coddled, without being protected as previous head coaches have done here in Winnipeg for a long, long time, and I think that's a big part of how we got here, um, I think it was important to happen. And uh, regardless of how it was handled by everyone, I think with some time to consider it going forward, that hopefully will be the lasting legacy of what's happened over the last couple of days. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Um, Rick Bonus was brought in conceivably for his bluntness, his honesty, his veteran status to lead a cultural change. And even if the players who seem hesitant to say we weren't good enough, even if they are deeply discontent, a lot of these guys have been together and gone through it and seen some of Winnipeg's successes and you know real disappointments over the last several years there may be a fatigue that comes with that too you know it, it may be that you know if people find better results elsewhere it might be better for both parties in some situations and you know you could use Blake Wheeler as an example of that where even last summer they explored options for him to to play elsewhere and he was you know on board with at least exploring that at the time he said so there I guess what I'm saying is that it's possible for change to be absolutely necessary without there being villains in the piece 
or without it being some kind of moral failure. Maybe it's just time that some of these entrenched, you know, relationships, uh, historical conflicts, disappointments, successes, all of that. Like we're we're entering a period of time in Jess history where we don't know the plot, whether it's a rebuild, whether it's a competitive team and some fresh starts and fresh voices are probably extremely important. I think of, you know, Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt's involvement in the team over the last couple of years. Nino Niederreiter just telling like it is from the moment that he arrives. Some of the freshest opinions, I think, have come from players who haven't been here for the last, you know, five, six, seven years or more. Mason Appleton has been around for a lot, but he was maybe the one guy that said, uh, you know what, it would be a loser's mentality to accept this and not want to get better. So I, I think that the Jets are at a position where it's clear that this generation or this group or this era has given what it can give. And there are ways to move on from that while still honoring it and still being proud of the good things that happened. And, you know, being honest within the organization about the bad things that have happened as well. It's, it's going to be a time of change or it should be because bonus is transformation of that culture can't happen in one year or in a couple of months if all of the pieces are the same all of the way through. Exactly, exactly. Um, and and you know we uh, we saw this year that despite the best intentions and the hard work of a new coaching staff, which did a great job in a lot of areas, there's some old habits that die hard, and that is not unique to the Winnipeg Jets. That's not unique to professional hockey. That is that is kind of life. And you need to work so hard to instill new ways of doing things. Um, and listen, there hasn't been a lot of accountability around here for a long time. That was the key word. I think they got some of it at times, but unfortunately, it really was absent um, at the most important time of the year. And it's a big reason why everything that happened uh, over the course of the uh, the last few days. Now, one quote I do want to ask you about in particular, A, because to me he's the most important player involved in any potential changes and what he means to the team, but also when Connor Hellebuck spoke, and again at times, and he was asked about his legacy, so I mean I guess you know when you're asked a question like that, sometimes you can sort of look back and speak maybe in the past tense. But Hellebuck talked about the group and about how you know much they like playing with each other and how talented the players are. But the one thing that said, and we've said this before, I mean, it just maybe it just didn't work. Maybe it just didn't all fit together. And uh, first of all, I thought that he was correct. I mean, I think that every one of these players has legitimate things to bring to NHL teams and in different situations, in different organizations, different cultures, maybe they would work or work out differently. Um, but Hellebuck spoke to that, and I thought that was very true. At the same time, Marat, I couldn't help, and I think you all know I'm a huge heli backer. I think he's a franchise player, and if you can't pay and keep your franchise player, what are you doing? Uh, but I'll be honest. I mean, my confidence level of him being back or him being committed to the future was not there. But at the same time, as we've seen many times before, I thought he, in a very unique way, kind of said in a lot of ways what I think the reality is with this group or at least this core overall. Yeah, Connor Hellebuck. I mean, what uh, what an interesting speaker to be sure. And sitting there in the room, you know, yes, it's an important piece of context. You know, whenever fans are hearing quotes, uh, I think an important follow up question in, in the back of your mind should be, well, what question were they asked that led to that quote? And yeah, so you know, 
I'm not sure if that Hellebuck response was in in response to what I asked, but at one point I asked, you know, when you signed your um, contract extension in 2018 compared to now in this situation, how do you reflect on what your hopes were then and what you've seen since that time? If you get a question like that, you have a green light to be reflective. And he joked, oh, yeah, that's a deep one before he answered his question. Um, And if you didn't know that context, you might think he just brought up the idea of being reflective or thinking about his legacy. So all of that is important. And all of that to say, sitting there in that room, I didn't get a tremendous sense that he saw himself as a forever Jet either. I think he's been telling us who he is for years now. He wants a Stanley Cup or bust. That's his goal. That's his one remaining thing. If he believes that Winnipeg is a contender, Winnipeg's a contender for his services as well. If he doesn't believe that Winnipeg is a contender, I think that, you know, then that contract ask gets so big it becomes, you know, untenable and, you know, you might have to explore a trade of the player, to be honest. Um, in terms of what he said about the group, I think that, you know, I think fans have, some fans have taken a hold of this narrative that, you know, there's tremendous conflict within the room and we saw them sort of, air out their dirty laundry last year, especially with Paul Stastny's comments. And we saw them struggle down the stretch again this year. So they must be at odds with each other all of the time. This year, I don't believe that that's the case. And I, you know, I'm not behind the closed doors, but the things that I hear that come out of, you know, this player said this or did that or what have you, seems to be that they came together and believed in each other as people this year in a way that probably... Didn't It didn't feel that way prior to this season, or at least at the end of last season. So good. That's important. Good for them. And I think that some of the leadership changes uh, contributed. I think some of the players felt more confident in speaking up. Um, you heard Nikolai Ehlers say at the end of the year that, you know, coming back to a group that believed in itself so much or that was such a good group of guys was an important driver for him. And I believe him when he says that. At the same time, that only gets you so far and it doesn't change the reality of what these contracts are and what the 2024 ticking clock is on those guys. So you got to you got to know who to keep and who to move on from. I think that's Shovel Dayoff's toughest situation right now. Well, I mean, a lot of people have said this is a two year window. I said all year this is a one year window. And guess what? That year is up and it is time to see how they play this out. And listen, if this team was still playing right now and, uh, you know, won the West and, you know, was if this team was truly right there at the pinnacle, maybe you could justify, you know, running it back, if you will. Um, But I think it's quite clear that this team in their current incarnation isn't that. And this is the Winnipeg Jets. This isn't the Boston Bruins. This isn't the LA Kings. Um, there's the potential, I mean, any time when you have players get to free agency and you're competing with the rest of the league, you're at a major disadvantage. And that is why I really do think that this team absolutely must maximize whatever value is remaining on the players that they don't believe are going to be here at the end of this season. And that comes up with a few things. If we want to put Hellebuck in, I think he's definitely in that conversation right now, even if I maybe didn't want to admit it earlier, he is there. And then you've got your top two centers. Um, I, I guess everyone, you know, there's what's everyone's definition of a rebuild, a retool? I mean, there's too much talent on this team, in my opinion, regardless of the moves, to expect that this team would be a bottom feeder. And in fact, I think there might be some addition by subtraction in a lot of ways with some of the players outside of Hellebuck that might leave. But 
from my perspective, Marat, it's the goalie, it's your top two centers, and the long overdue figuring out how you're going to accommodate some of the younger talent in the organization on the blue line that is ready to go, and you have to figure out and how that works. Is that sort of the way you see the big things on Kevin Sheveldayoff's to-do list, even if uh, he didn't even want to give us a a nibble on uh, what his list looks like uh, on Sunday? Hus, you, you hacked my WordPress. You're in there. You, I, I have a, I have a draft of Kevin Sheveldayoff's <laughs> off-season decisions as going up tomorrow morning, and it touches on all of that stuff. Um, probably in the order that you laid it out as I well. I didn't hack the cloud. I didn't hack the cloud. We're just on the same <laughs> same wavelength. <laughs> Remo, where are you? What did you do? How did you? <laughs> but it's clear, like these are these are the clear priorities of the organization, or clear you know, decisions that they need to make and how, how successful they are dictates the next couple of years here in Winnipeg. And for me, I think they're so interdependent on each other. It's hard to say which one is the number one priority. You know, Connor Hellebuck is going to want to see what the team looks like, you know, I'm going to say on July 1 when he can begin to sign the extension, but throughout the summer and into the, you know, maybe into September or longer as well, before he knows what he thinks of Winnipeg as a winning organization. Um, so that's going to play a role. Mark Shifley, probably similar. Um, you know, Blake Wheeler, I think probably they're moving on, but, you know, we'll see about that as well. Mark Shifley plays a role. So I guess I start to look at it almost chronologically. I think the, that Pierre-Luc Dubois comes front of mind for me. By now, Winnipeg should have a sense from him. I know he likes to live in the moment, and so he you know, wasn't looking ahead during his exit interviews. He's all of that sort of stuff. It's a big decision, et cetera, et cetera. But the draft is going to be Winnipeg's first and possibly biggest and best window to move him if they need to. So if they're unable to come to a long-term extension by that point, um, you're going to get, you should hope Winnipeg could get, you know, a promising trade return from a player like that in and around the draft. And I think that's important because, it's before July free agency. It impacts, you know, Vladislav Nemesnikov, perhaps. It impacts those UFA 2024 players in Winnipeg who might be considering extensions or not. It begins to set the tone. And there's a big difference between, you know, you got the 17th overall pick and the prospect versus, you know, a 23-year-old player who has hopes of being a, a second-line center and, and helping a team win, you know, you know, this year's version of Kirby Dock, let's say. And um, I, I think that that's the tone setter. If Winnipeg can come out of that and is, if they're forced to make that trade, which I expect that they will be, if they can come out of that with positive assets, you may be able to begin to talk to Hellebuck about, okay, maybe it's not eight years, but there's a shorter term window that you can believe in. If you can't, if you can't sell Hellebuck on it, you've got to move on from him. There are contenders who need goaltending. And then again, I look at the chronology. I tend to think of teams as a little bit more optimistic about their goaltending situations in the offseason, a little more desperate at the trade deadline, which adds a wrinkle of complication to it. Um, there's a trend in the NHL to move to tandems, 1A, 1B guys, and spend as much between the two of them as teams are likely to spend on Hellebuck on an extension. Those are your two biggest. I, you know, I think Shifley's waiting in the weeds as well and could be a fallback plan for the Jets if they're desperate to, to have some semblance of competitiveness. But I think Dubois and Hellebuck are your keystones based on their age and performance levels.
Now, um, and again, I'm sure the next time we uh, we chat, um, you know, barring anything happening in the meantime, uh, and maybe over the course of this month, we can really focus in on potential landing spots, some teams, and I know you'll be covering that in the Athletic on you know what these deals might look like. Um, but when it comes to those players, I mean, whether it be the centers, Dubois and Shifley, or Hellebuck, what sort of a return? I mean, if you put your GM hat on, a Winnipeg Jets GM hat on for a minute, that which is important to note because, again, the job is different here than it is in a lot of other places. Considering where the team is at, have you thought at all about what, what the ask or what the expectations uh, coming back are? Because... I mean, the way I think about this, and again, I don't know whether people want to call this a rebuild, a retool, or invent some other name for it. But I mean, I think a lot of the same players, the very talented players are going to be here. But when you change over your potential top two centers, I mean, you're going to need to have a center coming back, at least one. I mean, to me, those players are ones that are at a different stage in their career. Maybe guys coming out of ELCs. And there is a bit of a gamble on that. I mean, players that aren't yet established where they are, but if you believe in them and can help turn them into the players that they have potential of being, you're now resetting the clock on that position in your roster for a long time. That's sort of where I believe at least the priority needs to be on the centers. I'm very, very up in the air on what an ask would be when it comes to a Connor Hellebuck. And I don't know how much they value picks, for instance, in this draft right now, I'm not even sure the picks in the future are that attractive because by the time those guys are here, Kyle Connor's gone, Nikola Ehlers are gone, or at least they need to be resigned beyond their present contracts. Yeah, big questions to be sure. And I I think that if you're trading a centers, let's let's say in this world, you just pluck Shifley and Dubois from the roster. And what do you have left, right? You have Nikolai Ehlers, just a tremendous, skilled, speedy forward. Kyle Connor, you know, the same with more offense and maybe less transitional success. Um, Cole Perfetti as well. Well, they all have a theme. You know, there's not a lot of size and brawn there. Um, there is a lot of talent there, that's to be sure. So you're probably looking at, you know, you're probably not bad enough to tank, to use the fans' words. Oh, Exactly. Like, Just I don't like think he's... there's this team. I don't know that there's a way this team could be, especially in the division they're in with some of the competition, could be a team that's going to be talking about the lottery in the top five. What you don't want to be is like the 12th worst team in the league where you're not making the playoffs. It's a disappointing season and you're still not picking around. I mean, I, I think no matter what happens with these players, the potential of this team being a playoff team will certainly be there if they've got someone that can if Hellebuck's gone, you know, give even close to a level of goaltending that gives you a chance to win every night. Um, but, I mean, to me, I mean, obviously we get to the blue line, but, I mean, who is in those center positions and what that can do for those other players that, especially Ehlers, I think Ehlers is completely capable, and we've seen that at times, of him sort of driving a line with different sort of players, not necessarily, what did Mike Shafley call them, the magical players he's playing with? I mean, there can be a different type. Um and Kyle Connor, listen, he's an incredible player. There's a great trigger man, does a lot of those things. Might need one of those type of players even more, um, you know, to at least get to where he's been, which has been one of the top scorers in the league as of the last few years. Yeah, they, they need, I guess, play drivers or some form of chemistry in that, in that regard. Nemesnikov seemed to be a perfect fit for Ehlers, and that's one that you hope that the Jets would be able to make happen yeah. at a bargain. 
Um, you know, 2.5 mil is what he made last season, and he's bounced around so much. I mean, the chemistry looked good. Let's let's be real. In terms of those center trade returns, you know, Shevel Dayoff, to his absolute credit, has done so well when painted into a corner before, right? I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois was a problem for a problem in terms of its trade. You know, Roslovic wasn't happy in Winnipeg. Line wasn't happy in Winnipeg. But it's a problem he gets to have because he negotiated that situation reasonably well. I mean, Dubois is a quality 24, turning 25-year-old center. And I think Winnipeg's priority is going to be players under term with contract who, um, sorry, under contract with term who they can project into the future a little bit, um, which makes a player on their second contract extremely, you know, desirable. And there, there's a gamble with that because you're not getting a finished product necessarily. If you're going for a player who's 23 years old on their second contract, you're just coming off their ELC, where you can, you know, say that you have a few years of team control left. They're not going to be a finished product, even to the extent that Dubois is. And I think that he's still developing his game as well. So you have to win that trade. You have to you have to hit uh, in that way. And again, I think of Kirby Doc and the, and the way that Montreal was able to gamble on him uh, coming out of Chicago and Chicago making him available and all of that sort of situation. That's the type. That's a dream scenario, I think, and in terms of a Dubois trade return, because he helps you a little right away, no matter what. Um, and you can project him to grow into the role that you hoped Dubois would play. I look at the Timo Meyer trade return for San Jose. I think Timo Meyer is a tremendously cap- or good comparable for Dubois trade return. And really, it was a first-round pick, a second-round pick that can become a first-round pick, and two kind of B-plus prospects as well, amongst other things. You know, that's that's a possibility, but that doesn't help you here and now either. And I think that it's going to be a direction-defining trade. I don't expect Winnipeg to get a bunch of first-round picks and then flip them for a player that's more aggressive and ambitious than you typically see for Winnipeg. So I really think it comes down to that player who's, and I don't know that player's name, who's 23 years old, uh, either about to sign their second contract or has their second contract with a few years on it, um, and who you think can grow into that sort of 2C or... Um, or even better if you hit really luckily in that role. And if you can get a list of those players, um, I think that's your your dream scenario for the for the Jets on this one. Well, and, and you know who, um, I mean, one guy that sort of stands out to me is, uh, is Quentin Byfield in, in L.A. Um, and this was a guy, he was, what, second overall pick. He uh, still has not really popped in the National Hockey League. He played 40 games last year. He played 53 games this year. You know, did play pretty well in the playoffs, had a goal and three assists and four points. But, you know, and whether that would be involving a Shifley, probably more likely a Hellebuck, because that is the one team that is mentioned. And I believe Corpy has, uh, is an expiring contract. So that's something where they would look for that. So, I mean, maybe it's the Hellebuck trade that gets you that center that can come in. And, um, you know, again, when you pick a player second overall, you have high expectations for him. Um, but that that's sort of a player if they were <clears throat> willing to be traded you know you're hoping that you're getting much more than what they've shown so far in the National Hockey League but you're giving up an established finished product that is one of the best in the league at their position and i think a team like the LA Kings would have the utmost confidence that they'd be able to sign a player to keep them around because as we all know that's uh, 
probably a pretty nice place to spend their winters as long as they can convince this player that they are going to be a contender to play against the best and be playing in the playoffs each and every year. You know, I've been known to spend a few weeks every now and again in Los Angeles as well. And uh, I got to say, it it wins a guy over, you know, (laughs) the sunshine has a way of doing that. Um, But I think L.A. is a great example of the type of team you're looking for for Hellebuck, because especially them, where Los Angeles essentially became a wagon the moment Corpusalo delivered stable goaltending for them. And I know that they went down to Edmonton who is another team to talk about, actually, although their cap situation is a bit unique, um, where Los Angeles can reasonably make the argument that it's an up-and-coming team, tremendous prospect pool, a lot of quality on the roster already, getting some really quality performances out of its veterans and young players, who is essentially a great goaltender away from being able to make some noise. Um, And that's exactly the type of team that you might imagine if they can negotiate an extension with Hallibuck as part of a deal, would be willing to part some tremendous future assets for a player like that because they have so many of them in part. And, you know, they've had a lot of picks and have drafted well. Uh, Byfield would be incredibly intriguing, I think. Um, I also, now that I've said it out loud, Edmonton makes a lot of sense if, depending on what they what happens to them in the playoffs, but if they come out of it believing that Stuart Skinner isn't the answer and um, Jack Campbell is, you know, is, is a spent force, you might get desperate in Edmonton thinking, oh my goodness, you're running out of the Dreisaitl and McDavid window. You finally have a well-rounded team, you know, at forward and on defense, you desperately need a goaltender. There might be a, you know, there might be some flexibility for trades in that sort of situation, but that's who you're looking for. If you're trading Connor Hellebuck, those teams that are that close, because you believe that they can sign him to an extension. And if they can do that, then they're more likely to part with those high-end futures. And Byfield is a great pull, I think. I mean, I'd be delighted if I got to cover a player like that. Yeah, well, I mean, he's 6'5", and we've talked a lot about size. I mean, you certainly have to have a certain level of potential offensively to be picked at that spot. And the timing might be right for the Kings, for the Kings to potentially move on a player like that, which is a high cost to pay. But that is certainly what the Winnipeg Jets are going to be uh, asking for or expecting if they're trading one of those players. And uh, wouldn't that be interesting if the two centers go for other things, maybe even a goalie coming back, and the goalie trade is what actually gets you potentially a center of your future. All I know is that this is going to give us plenty to kick around for the next couple months as we get into the draft. Um, uh, Marat, fill people in on, uh, I I know we sort of talked about what maybe one of your next pieces is right now, but uh, it is that list for Kevin Sheveldayoff. You know, whether uh, whether we got much of it on Sunday or not, it's pretty clear that um, this is a long list and a more unique and pivotal offseason that we've ever seen. Well, certainly probably seen in the 2.0 era. Yeah. I don't know if you get this, Huss, but like, you know, your, your friends and acquaintances who might be casual Jets fans as opposed to the diehards who are in the chat right now or who follow with The Athletic, they'll, they'll ask you stuff like, hey, so does your life just get quiet now? And then you sort of laugh because you know <laughs> that like the offseason that is and the amount of passion to figure out what happens to these guys next, it's, it's through the roof. Like, I mean, there are times when my offseason numbers are bigger than my in-season numbers. You know, the, the dedication to finding out where this team is going is that intense. So, yeah, I can I can preview the pieces. I mean, I have one that went up minutes before we spoke, which was just continued reflection on 
the the idea of an organization handling conflict. Rick Bonus's comments, Kevin Shoveldayoff's comments, the players as well, and this belief that like at this stage of you know we talked about it of adulthood and competition, there has to be mechanisms in place to be pissed off at each other and to handle it in a productive manner, that is success to me. I think that teams get better when they can handle it productively. So I sort of think out loud on that, but I got the off season to-do list going up tomorrow morning. Um, Talked about a lot of what we discussed, the defenseman situation as well, prospects, the future, the centers, the goaltender, it's all there. Um, I've got a call for a mailbag up right now. So there's still time to ask questions for that. It's gotten heated as I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) I'm going to be putting together a fan survey coming up as well. Get reflections on the season features on a couple of guys as well. It's, it's a busy time. Uh, it's a busy time to be in the Jets media market. That's for sure. Well, and, and you know what? It's funny. You mentioned those numbers. I mean, we were joking yesterday that around now last year was when Barry Trotz got the pink slip and that sort of began, I mean, a wild summer for us. I mean, uh, you know, the numbers were bigger than it plenty of times in the regular season, even the playoffs throughout. And uh, to be honest, I think this is going to be um, an even crazier summer right now because a lot of the things we expected to happen last summer didn't. And now it almost seems like, like it or not, they are going to be forced to do some things. And this team is going to look a lot different. I don't think there's many people that would disagree that that probably is a good thing for the Winnipeg Jets considering the way they bowed out of the playoffs. Marat, Always great having you on the show. Have a great one. Enjoy the weather outside. A little bit more like L.A. than it was when you were going back and forth in the winter. Yes, sir. Thanks so much, Us. Great stuff. There's Murata Tesh. Uh, hot off the presses at The uh, Athletic. His latest piece, and make sure to check that one up coming up tomorrow that we just discussed about. Well, it was great to talk CFL draft with uh, Ted. And uh, next week, we'll have rookies in town. Bomber camp starting a few days later. And by the end of the month, CFL preseason, our uh, Princess Auto Bomber reports will be uh, hot and heavy coming up. Looking forward to getting DB back on the program. And, of course, I know I've spent a lot of time talking with Hammer about the uh, Jets all all season long. Um, but you know, Jeff's going to be all over the Bombers as well. When we talk Bombers on the show, we do it for Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Blue and Gold, and of course, hosts at the Princess Auto pregame tailgate party. Princess Auto is where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Pop by and see them at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road or Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. And with things uh, green and up outside, folks, and the weather getting nice, it's time to hit that lawn up. Now, the golf courses have been prepared, well, for a few weeks, and that, of course, is uh, one of the big things they do with our friends at Consolidated Supply, who are the leaders in irrigation systems and artificial turf. Um, If you do need some irrigation for your property, give Joe a call over at Consolidated Supply. He'll be able to help you out. Or if you maybe work on that dream putting green or something really cool for the backyard. They're, of course, the leader in golf carts as well as the exclusive cub car dealer. Used and and new golf carts available down at the showroom. But they've also got some other great options for your property. Tons of amazing hot tubs and amazing outdoor kitchen options as well not to mention small engine parts and repair. Pop by and see him at Consolidated Supply, open to the public, 1395 Niagara Road East, or find out more online at cte.ca. 
Oh, man, our friends at Royal Sports are ready for spring and summer. They're Manitoba's number one sports superstore with the biggest and best selection of licensed team gear featuring the Jets, Bombers, NHL, NFL, tons of new Jays and Major League Baseball year here with the start of the season and more. And, of course, spring stock is arriving daily for soccer players, baseball players, softball players, tennis players, and more. They've got it all, and a huge selection of bikes as well. Uh, It's got to be seen to be believed the biggest and best sports store, maybe in the country, Royal Sports, 750 Pembina Highway. Follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pembina. Now, big playoff action tonight in the Western Hockey League. Big playoff action in the American Hockey League tonight. And, of course, two more games and two series starting tonight in the National Hockey League. Uh, unfortunately, BP is no longer our whiteout headquarters, but it still is your fan headquarters for the best place to get together with your friends and watch Stanley Cup playoff action. Check out their new menu powered by Fanalytics, including the brand new triple play combo with the Bandera bread, the cactus cuts, and of course the Thai chicken bites. Uh, and check out those new fried dill pickle spears that everyone's talking about as well. Make an appointment today with your pals to get down and watch playoff hockey and, of course, the Blue Jays at Boston Pizza. And if you're staying in, you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. All right, well, as I mentioned, the Winnipeg Ice are within one game of moving on to the Western Hockey League Championship Series, up 3-0 on Saskatoon after their big win last night. Brad Lambert and the Seattle Thunderbirds up 2-1 on the Kamloops Blazers in the West Conference Championship Series. And it has seemed for a while like maybe Winnipeg and Seattle have been on a bit of a collision course. But there is still work to do. That work might be completed tonight if the ice can get it done. Friday would be Game 5 here in the peg. But I'm sure they'd love to come back and rest a little bit. Let's get the latest on the ice as they go into a clinching opportunity in Saskatoon tonight, right now, with Brian Munns. Brian, great to have you uh, back on the program. And, uh, man, what a start to round three for the Winnipeg Ice. They seem to be uh, really, uh, really rounding into form at the most important time of the season. Hey, guys, good to catch up again for sure. Yeah, it, uh, it's been a tremendous postseason so far, obviously, with what they've been able to do through round one against the Medicine Hat Tigers, a good test into round two against the Moose Jaw Warriors. And now this Eastern Conference Championship Series, everybody back in Winnipeg was able to see games one and two, of course, back on Friday, Saturday. But I just talked to head coach James Patrick. We'll have it on the pregame show coming up tonight at 7.30 on just kind of how that first game played out here last night in Saskatoon, game three. I think everybody was a little curious how the series would shift inside Sastel Center, and it was pretty much the perfect storm. Like, they get a power play two and a half minutes in. Takes 10 seconds for Matt Savoy to be able to get that game's opening goal. Benson and Friesen score 45 seconds apart a little bit later on in that opening period. They're out to a 3 nothing lead, and in my opinion, kind of never really looked back and just took that game away. There was, you know, a tiny bit of pushback from Saskatoon when it was 4-1, but... Uh, you know what, Winnipeg's played extremely well in the series so far. Well, and, and and I mean, we'll get to the path maybe that beforehand, but I mean, you know, two just big-time performances at home to get off to a great start. And, you know, I mean, they had lost a game in the first series and a couple in the second, but it seemed like they um, realize 
what goes in. And I think this probably goes back to, you know, the run that they had last year coming up to this far. I mean, realizing how laborious it is and how much toll it takes on teams to play long series. And uh, quite clear that this ice team realized there's an opportunity to get a big, big head up on whoever they'll play in the WHL championship if they can take care of this series in uh, in quick fashion. Yeah, Huss, they got a test against Medicine Hat in round one. And I think, you know, when you look at the score, you look at the end result, yeah, it was a four games to nothing sweep, but it wasn't easy games that they played, right? So I think that was good. It was a good experience for Medicine Hat too. They're kind of at the low end of the cycle and they're on their way building back up. Uh, you look at the Moose Jaw series and you and I and Remo were kind of talking about this before we came on the air here this afternoon, then it was good for Winnipeg to get a push against the Warriors. Like, they've got a good hockey team there. You look at Jagger Furcus, the Seattle draft pick. You look at Denton Matejchuk from Dominion City, Manitoba, drafted by Columbus. You've got Braden Jagger, who's going to be probably a first-round draft pick coming up this summer in Nashville. You've got a 40-goal scorer at Atlee Calvert, who's a local kid that's an older player. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Ryder Korzak started the year in the American Hockey League, a New York Rangers draft pick. They had Connor Unger, one of the top goaltenders in his final year of eligibility. So all in all, like Mark O'Leary's got a really good hockey team there. Don't forget about Max Water, who's an Edmonton pick. Merrick Howell's a young 16-year-old that is going to be a star. Lyndon Lakovic as well. Like, they've got a really good team. Like to me, personally, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, most jaw those are those are the top three so to have those three teams as kind of the final ones going here uh towards the end of playoff play in the uh eastern conference was was the way it should have been well and, and i mean let's get back to we may as well touch on round two because uh, i mean the ice you know they didn't get the uh, i mean they lost a game at home they went on the road they were down to one and had to salvage that game in overtime to prevent going down three one and you know, when you look at teams, the championship caliber teams, teams that go on long playoff runs, at times through the the postseason journey, um, you really are pressed. And I would imagine the midpoint of that series in round two was the point where the ice probably proved a lot to themselves, but bottom line, stepped up and uh, was able to get past a hell of a hell of a challenge from a team that many people thought was right there with Winnipeg as far as the top team in the East. Yeah, if they wouldn't have lost uh, those players for six, seven weeks, I think they would have been the number two team in the standings uh, just based on what they had done prior to. So I think all the way through, when you look at when they came back, the Warriors were kind of the team they thought they were, to steal the old phrase from uh, the National Football League. But uh you know, I, I don't think it's wrong, and I don't think it's a bad thing to get a little bit of a push early in the playoffs. And, you know, James Patrick uses the word process a lot, no matter whether you're leading into a game or you're inside that 60 minutes of competition. If you play the system, if you work your process to the right way that they've got it all the way through with this group, good things are going to happen because there's no team in the Eastern Conference that has the depth that Winnipeg does. If you just want to go down the middle right now with Matt Savoy, Zach Ostopchuk, and Connor Geeky, you've got a first-round pick. You've got another draft pick that's won two gold medals for Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championship. And you got a first-round pick as well in, in Geeky. So, uh, you know, nobody's been able to match that so far. Now, when you look at what's going on in the West, then you'd have a different conversation between Kamloops and Seattle. But uh, the ice are 
are the Kings of the East right now. And, uh, you know, they've got four opportunities to, to wrap it up here starting tonight. Uh, Brian Muds with the Winnipeg Ice uh, getting ready for game four tonight in Saskatoon. Ice leading 3 nothing can book a ticket to the WHL championship with a win. Uh, you mentioned how deep the team is at center. That being said, this top line of Savoy, Benson, and McLennan are um, a nightmare right now for opposing teams. I mean, you watch these young men play together all year long. I mean, uh, have they taken it to an even bigger, a better level right now when uh, when it matters most? Yeah, I think they have. I, I think that's a great assessment by you that they're getting better as the postseason continues. And it's kind of hard to believe when you think of the regular season that they were able to uh, put together. And it goes back, like, Jeep used those guys together at some points last year. They haven't always been together, you know, right through this last couple of year run. But when they were reunited, first of all, start off ice, like all three, this whole team is really, really tight. That to me, being behind the scenes is one thing that's been a lot of fun to watch them kind of mature and grow and develop as as young men because let's not forget these aren't pro players yet. They're 16 to now a couple of them are 21 years old. So you've kind of got that maturity to learn exactly what it takes to play at a high level and, and be an elite team and have that bullseye on your back and be able to answer the call each and every night. And, you know, Benson, Savoy, McLennan are getting the other team's best each and every game, and they're still able to find the score sheet as often as they are. So that says a lot for me with uh, the integrity that they play with, how fast they play the game right now, and uh, really how much confidence and how much fun they're having together. You know, it's easy for us to, uh, you know, talk about all the high picks and the high scoring forwards, but um, you can't win without goaltending. And uh, what a performance, even a shutout in game number one of this series against a very good team. I mean, uh, that's also been a constant for this team throughout the season. Very strong play in the pipes. Yeah, and both guys have been uh, been really good. Like, you know, Daniel Hauser's been Daniel Hauser, got us since day one. When you look at... Uh, All he does is win. Yeah, like at the end of the day, it is. Uh, just kind of cruising down here real quick. His, his postseason record through his entire playoff career now sits in 25 games at 19-3 and with a 2.3 goals against average and 9-11 save percentage. And, you know, when he kind of had a couple of off games earlier on, Mason Bulpit jumped in. And with the amount of play and the amount of rubber that he saw as a member of the Spokane Chiefs, he was brought in for that reason and handled it extremely well right now. So they do have a ton of confidence in both players. Bulpit's a drafted uh, netminder for the San Jose Sharks. And yeah, they've got uh, they've got a good thing going back there for sure. You know, Muzzy, if we remember last year, I mean, the team had that incredible season. I think most observers that, you know, understand the the process, to use a, a word that the coach uses, you know, of a team growing to that championship caliber thought that, you know, that amazing season the Ice had was maybe a little ahead of schedule. This was the year that I think that they'd focused on having their best chance. Um, but, you know, you have the season they had. They made it all the way to that series against Edmonton. How do you think the run in the playoffs, of which most of these players were a part of, prepared them to go the distance this year? It was instrumental because you hear the old cliche, and and I, I guess I, I believe it a little bit, but I think it's always way more fun than losing, but they always say you need to lose before you learn how to win. Uh, you know, the players that are back on this year's team took that on the chin. Right. Like, and hey, full credit to Brad Lowers, Edmonton Oil Kings. Like, they were the better team in the series. 
They were bigger. They were stronger. They were faster. They had a more complete game. Sebastian Kosa was fantastic in net. Was moved on in the Red Wings organization. Now, they last year was their team, and they they answered the phone. And Winnipeg understood when they got into that five game series what they needed to do at this point in the playoffs where we are right now. And I think if you talk to Marco Leary and Moose Jaw, if you talk to Brendan Sani of the Saskatoon Blades, their team's kind of going through that school day visit that Winnipeg had last year against Edmonton that uh, those teams are having against the ice right now. So uh, I, I think it was really big. And to me, the biggest thing when you get this deep is the physical toll that it takes on these players involved. And I think that's when you look at guys like Ostopchuk and Peterson, Briley Wood, Connor Geeky's got some size, Easton Armstrong, Ty Nash, kind of those gritty guys that really round things out up front. You've got Ashton Cumbie that's coming into the series now when Wyatt Wilson went down with an unfortunate injury. Like, he's a big 16-year-old kid that doesn't log a lot of minutes, but when he's out there, he eats up some time, throws some checks, and then, you know, your other defensemen have been able to to play extremely well. Graham Swartz been arguably their most consistent defenseman all the way through the entire playoffs and the second half of the regular season. He came in from Spokane as well, a Nashville draft pick, and uh, he's kind of flown under the radar a lot, but when you watch this club live, uh, they wouldn't be where they are right now without the play of 44, and that's no slight on anybody else, but he's been that good. You know, Munzee, uh, uh, just on that point, I mean, uh, uh, I'm locked and loaded with some buddies to get out to game five on Friday night. Uh, I'd love to see the game, but from an ice perspective, from <laughs> what you just mentioned, there is a big, big opportunity right now to finish the job, get some extra rest, and prepare for what will be a hell of a WHL championship series if they're able to make it through. And let's not forget Saskatoon did go down 3 nothing in their last series and win four in a row, and I'm sure that's not lost on the ice. Um, but it would be massive for this club to uh, have a few extra days while uh, Kamloops and Seattle uh, beat the hell out of each other, waiting to see who gets to play the ice if they're fortunate enough to win one more game in the series. Yeah, and you know they're going five for sure now because Kamloops was able to win back on home ice last night uh, over Seattle. So watching that one obviously with keen interest, but you're right. Uh, there's no looking past this game for sure. Uh, Saskatoon, like they always say, game four is the hardest to win, and you know, we saw that in the Medicine Hat series that went right down to the wire, and we saw that in round two against Moose Jaw as well, that that elimination game. Now, Winnipeg was able to go in there and, and kind of take advantage early, and by the midway point of the first period, the game was over, but leading your way into it, uh, you know, there's no celebration, there's no party planning as of yet uh, for this team. They're They're handling it the right way, which is a good sign for me. But you're right. If uh, the Blades are able to win, we're excited to come back home for Game 5. A reminder, it's a 6 o'clock face-off on Friday night heading into the weekend. So we would look forward to a fantastic atmosphere again inside the ice cave at Wayne Fleming Arena. There was over 6,000 people here in Saskatoon last night. And uh, it was a ton of fun inside SaskTel Center. So uh, if, if Winnipeg's not able to get it done, we'll look forward to seeing everybody back home on Friday. Yeah, and uh, otherwise, we'll uh, get planning for a, what should be an amazing WHL championship series. Have a great call tonight. Good luck to the Ice Monday, and uh, win or lose, we'll see you back in the peg later on this week and start planning for the next time we'll see the Ice playing at the Ice Cave as they continue their quest for a WHL championship and a trip to the Memorial Cup. All the best, pal. 
All right. Thanks, Hoss. Hey, uh, nice work on the background, too. You guys have been chipping away when you're off air, eh? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, a pro- it's a process. And- it's a oh, process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys. All right. Good stuff with Munzee and good luck to the ice tonight. Um, I'll be honest. I wouldn't be too upset if they lost because I was going to go to the game on Friday. But uh, we can always save it for the championship series against uh, hopefully the Seattle Thunderbirds and Big Bad Brad. The Lambo looking pretty good with his junior team right now. And that'll be uh, that'll be great here in the city of Winnipeg if that does uh, if that does happen. Um we talked about uh, Goldeye Camp beginning today. Well, we are counting down 19 days until opening day at Assiniboia Downs and the resumption of the great wagering rivalry between myself and Michael Remus. We each have one season. This year is our tiebreaker. We'll be doing our favorite picks at the track for Monday and Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, live racing out at Assiniboia Downs. But in the meantime, mark it on your calendar. May 22nd, opening day. And uh, you can check out the full live racing schedule at AS Downs. Everything going on this week, but um, nothing better than getting out to the track, having a little fun with the ponies, and checking out that incredible food up in the dining room at Assiniboia Downs and everything else that comes with the trip to the track. Again, asdowns.com. And uh, you can always open up a uh, wagering account at HPI Bet to bet online at tracks around the world and Assiniboia Downs. Um, also looking forward to getting out to the ballpark and enjoying a few little brown jugs. I, I just love this generic lager that they've just launched. If you haven't tried it, you need to get on it. If you do like traditional light beers, it's your basic lager, just better. Standard in the best way, light and clean to taste with a mellow flavor and crisp finish. Now Manitoba can support local without having to move away from the domestic taste they've come to expect with a light beer. Available in eight packs or by the can through our tap room or through vendors. You can also pick it up at Liquor Marts. It should be single cans in Liquor Marts by next month. Um, Wells Fargo Championship in the PGA Tour this week. Elevated event. All the big boys there. We hit on it on the lock shop. But while I know PGA Tour fans will be looking forward to hopefully getting a great Sunday, local golfers are back out on the course. And big shout-out to Corey and the gang at Breezy Bend, uh, the incredible staff, Craig and his team, getting the course ready to go. And it is on. First men's night was yesterday. First tee balls were hit on the weekend. And uh, we are all systems go at one of Manitoba's premier private clubs, championship course, top-notch practice facilities, and the best 19th hole around on their beautiful course side patio. Find out more at breezybend.ca or call our pal Corey Johnson for more information about becoming a member. And I just got a message from Pitt and the gang over at Aikens Lake. The Aikens team is ready to go. I know I've been mentioning that uh, for university students, if you were thinking about a summer in paradise, uh, you might want to throw a resume into Pitt. And they've pretty much taken care of the entire team, although they are looking for one final team member for the serving housekeeping job out at Aikens Lake. So if you know of someone that might be a great fit for that, send them a resume into Pitt at Aikens Lake. And in the meantime, 
Now's the time to go to AkinsLake.com and inquire about availability for this season. They're pushing over 90% booked for the entire year. Had a couple of amazing years coming out of the pandemic. It truly is a world-class experience that the Aikens experience provides, not only with the world-class fishing, but as great as the fishing is, the hospitality is even better. Find out more on corporate packages, friends and family trips, right now at AkinsLake.com. Calm. All right. We still have a few things to get to on this program. Uh, a couple funny things relating to Leaf fans, which I'll get to in a minute, but let's quickly get to the cool bet lines. Um, and we do have word, Remo, that uh, Mark Stone is a go for tonight. I know there was, um, you know, some probably nervous Knights fans after what we saw from that video from practice yesterday. He's going to play tonight which is good news for Vegas. They are a home underdog, though, going up against the Edmonton Oilers, plus 102 for Vegas, minus 120 for the Edmonton Oilers. And actually, both road teams uh, are, are favored in the series. The Devils not favored tonight, though. Even money for the Devils on the road against the Hurricanes and minus 117 for Carolina. Season or Series bets up as well. And the numbers are already up for tomorrow's games with the Leafs and Dallas being pretty significant home favorites. Uh, if you want to get a sprinkle in on the golf on the weekend, check today's lock shop for our picks. The Wells Fargo Championship is up. And I will direct you to the exclusives. We've got a lock shop partner parlay today with Dusty. He's been killing it with these Oilers single game wagers. It's a plus 485-er with Dreisaitl to score, Nuge and Bouchard to get a point over five and a half and the Oilers to win. But my favorite one, and we were all over this as soon as we saw it, our pal Pat Gregor, the Greggy's golf special, Cam Young and Victor Hovland to finish top 20 at Wells Fargo. That one's at plus 365. Bottom right corner of it uh, for the golf boosted odds specials. So lots going on right now. Major League Baseball or Major League Baseball playing right now. A bunch of Blue Jays exclusives. And of course, Hockey, basketball playoffs, golf going on right now. Uh, and it's all there at CoolBet for you. If you haven't played a CoolBet before, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to 200 bucks. All right, Remo, we've got a couple of fan things to talk about. Although, do you want to get to the, uh, the uh, we're now, I guess, into Jets off-season reports via Instagram, aren't we? Yes. Uh, locker clean-out day was the weekend. And they're off. We're trying to see, okay, where are these guys? You know, what are they going to do? You know, we always enjoy what they post on social media. So here we are. This is this is what we're going to have to do now for the rest of the summer because, you know, there's no games. Okay, what are they posting on Instagram? Here's Nikolai Ehlers' story. He's already in Denmark. Alborg, Denmark. He tagged location. Looks lovely. Some spring, beautiful spring scene in Alborg, Denmark. Nice patio furniture. His little big, dog running around. Big, little toy dog. Big fields. Shout out to Nikolai Ehlers. Of course, Ehlers did mention that he may be playing again quite soon. I'm sure he'd love to represent Denmark at the World Championship, so I'd imagine oh. that'll be something coming up soon. Um, and then uh, we've got a Dubois, and again, this might be kind of the last we ever really see of Pierre-Luc Dubois. I kind of felt like when he walked out of the room on Saturday, and I actually saw him a little later on signing a few jerseys and things as players do on that final day, 
that that might be the last time he was on the home side of the Winnipeg Jet dressing room. And uh, Dubois got all systems go right into the offseason doing what a lot of us do when we're off work for a while. Play yeah. video games. Yeah, here's not only video games. Uh, I guess this is considered retro now. He's got PS2. I think I think that's the mini PS2. That's not the fat PS2. And he looks like he's playing NF NBA Street. I think NBA Street Three. I'm gonna guess because uh, this doesn't look familiar. I never played that one. But he's also got a TV on the ground. So I don't. He didn't tag the location, like like Ehlers did. But yes, I, I'm. I like what Pierre-Luc Dubois is doing. NBA Street with the TV on the floor. Well done, PLD. I'm a big fan now. I'm uh, uh listen, I've been <clears throat> there's nothing worse in life than moving. Yes. Most people will agree with that. But as a uh a bachelor for most of my life, been known to throw a tube on the floor every now and then. TV? I mean, no, you got to get it in, get it hooked up. <laughs> And get to work on whatever we were I, doing. Now, I have not played that version of NBA Street, although I do love the potential matchup of Yao Ming and Derek Anderson that he's uh, setting up in his choose players selection. But, um, anyways, Dubois, listen, as you can tell, the, <clears throat> the guy doesn't know what he's having for dinner, doesn't know what he's going to put his TV on, doesn't know what he's going to play next year. There's a lot of balls up in the air for Pierre Luc Dubois. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just got to kick it and fire up the PS2. And that's exactly what he's doing right now to begin his offseason. Love it. Love it. Patrolman Pete says the TV works just as well on the floor. That is correct. True Pete. True that, Pete. That's a good point. Um, all right. Uh, our pal Jesse Pollock, the, uh, but a true Winnipeg ambassador and Jet fan extraordinaire, has made some... Well, he's made quite a few claims, quite a few proclamations in Toronto about the Jets. He said that he licked the floor at TSN if the Jets didn't make the playoffs. Well, they met the playoffs. They cashed our cool bet futures. But unfortunately, he made that same prediction and declaration if the Jets did not beat the Vegas Golden Knights. And unfortunately, today, Jesse had to pay the price, Reem. Yeah, he had to pay up. So here's... We all want to see it, um, Huss. Here's the video of Jesse uh, licking the carpet at TSN. He, he, you know what? He goes all in on this. I mean, this is a guy that pays his wagers. He pays his bets. Jesse Pollock, a great, a, a, very, a, a guy that has a lot of scruples, a lot of honor, as you'll see right away. Prepare yourself for this one, folks. Should, yeah, I think this is our warning, like graphic, something graphic in nature going to be on the screen. I'm not doing a little one either. <laughs> That's so bad, man. He Listen, I don't know why in the world they're doing a lick the carpet challenge anyways. You probably couldn't get me to do that, but as Phyllis is saying, Jesse is a champ. Please temporary. He's a Winnipeg gem. It's time to the brush carpet, that is nasty. He's, yeah, he's got to go brush that tongue. <laughs> Don't doubt about it. But uh, a man of honor, a man of his word, and a great representative of uh, Jet fans out east in a sea of Toronto Maple Leaf fans, which is where he was again last night, Remo, in Maple Leaf Square with all the Leaf fans going crazy, and I'm sure he's the one guy that was loving 
the win by the Florida Panthers. Yeah, I'm trying to look if there's the picture. Oh, yeah, here he is taking a selfie. Uh, <laughs> he's writing, I dare you to go to Maple Leaf Square next round. Every rotten ass Leafs fan on Twitter. So I think it was waiters in chat said there's two types of NHL fans, Leafs fans and Leafs haters. Or he said the two biggest fan bases in the NHL are Leafs fans and Leafs haters. So uh shout out to jesse and you know what we'll have to get we'll we'll hook up we'll try and get jesse on maybe next week to to jump on see how he's doing managing the leafs in the second round and the jets being out uh and certainly this is sort of the guy that you want to make a bet with he is paying his dues now some would say that jesse's a bit of a leafs troll and was trolling them last night but before we go we have to hit this this is this is next level trolling and very expensive trolling. Um, just get the first pick if you could of the guy at the Tampa game and then him back at the Florida game in round two, if you would. So here you go, folks. This is from game one, uh, round one, game one, a guy and it looks like his daughter wearing Tampa Bay lightning gear, cheering for the lightning. Okay. Whatever that happens at games. Um, Here's a shot from last night's game one. It's the same guy, the same daughter now in Florida Panthers jerseys. And people were wondering, like, what the heck is going on? Well, upon further review, there's a lot of people that are going to really love this guy here in the Winnipeg Sports Talk chat. He apparently is a season ticket holder for the Toronto Maple Leafs, paying what looks like huge money for those seats for the entire year and comes to every single game wearing the jersey of the other team and trolling Leaf fans. I mean, this is as committed and expensive a troll job as I have ever heard in my entire life, Reem. There was an article about him in the Toronto Star, and they showed, like, here's the article. Anyways, here they are in Habs jerseys. Uh, oh, yes, here's the one. Here, Check this one out. He's got... Avs, Kraken. <laughs> There's me, the Canadians, uh, Flyers jersey. Pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Uh, good for this guy. He's obviously got a money, a lot of money for those tickets and for all those jerseys. But uh, yeah, his daughter said she's been going with her dad to Leaf games for as long as they can remember wearing the opposition's jersey and cheering against the Leafs every single game pretty much he's ever been to ever life. So he's... As Bravo Bryant said, this man is a national treasure. I th I think so. I don't know if, like, does anyone do anything like this, especially in the, in the market with the most expensive tickets? So he's a Montreal fan, it says, and maybe they had so much fun, they're doing it. Um... And I think they bought that reverse retro jersey like right before the game, like <laughs> the day of the game. Uh, good for them. That's pretty funny. I mean, you get on TV. They're on TV every game. They always because I don't think I think they said he was the only Tampa fan there, and they went down after one of the games, and they say, "Oh, a Tampa fan," and they got some autographed memorabilia from the players. So <laughs> that's great. Oh, man, it's a, that is funny stuff. Uh, and as I say, you know what? Uh, there's trolling. And there's a lot of, you know, low-level trolls that hang out on social media. This is what all of you need to aspire to be. 
We always talk about the term FU money. Well, this guy obviously has FU money, and he's using that FU money to go to the arena, Scotiabank Arena, and do an FU job on the Leafs every single <laughs> night that he goes to the games. It, I mean, at a certain, I laughed so hard when I saw that last night, and knowing how triggered many of you in the chat are that the Leafs have finally made it out of the first round and actually have a really good team this year, I knew that would warm many of your hearts today and it was a perfect way to finish up for uh, today's show uh, hey before we go Remo uh, good luck to the moose good luck to the ice Dan Fink will join us tomorrow on the program uh, we'll also have more Jets aftermath Billick and Rewicki jumping on the program and uh, don't forget we gave out our final unsung hero today to that great volunteer from Corden Community Center and uh, really looking forward to having Josh Morrissey hook up with us on Friday Talk a little bit about the season past, of course, his work with the Dream Factory and uh, round up the Unsung Hero program for the year, courtesy of our friends at Wallace & Wallace. Doubleheader tonight, Canes and Devils early, Oilers and Vegas late starting at 8.30. Um, and, of course, you can check the Moose on AHL TV. Keep it locked to uh, your uh, social feeds. And, uh, of course, Kevin O will have, I think Munzee said the pregame show starts at 7.30 with Kevin O. So uh, you know where to find that. But uh, have a great time. Maybe get outside a little bit. Fire up that barbecue because spring is here. And uh, we'll have a big show tomorrow with much more Jets aftermath, off-season talk, and the latest on the Jets, or the uh, ice and moose in the playoffs. And, of course, everything happening tonight in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Thanks again to the sponsors that make this show happen every day. Everyone that joined us today live on YouTube, make sure you hit that red subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Tell a friend about WST. And most of all, make sure you join us here for Winnipeg Sports Talk tomorrow. Live at 1 p.m. on YouTube. Have a great night, everyone. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.